How's it going, Kings? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So tonight, we have our second Militant Thomist after dark. So I'm just going to bring on whoever feels like coming on, and we're going to talk about whatever theological topic they feel like talking about. So I'm going to put the StreamYard link in the description and just wait to see whoever shows up. Um, let me put it in the discord. Okay. Casual chat. Bam. Right there. And then, yep. Let's just see. After dark starts later and later based on sunset. No, no, it's just. Whenever I feel like coming on. Oh, yeah. Sean McGinnis. Remember to carpet bomb that subscribe button. Yeah, also. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. forgot about that. I don't know if the other Paul's going to come on tonight, but he might. But the other Paul and I are in an all-out nuclear war. I am invading, going right to uh, right to Australia. Where, where, where is he from in Australia? Sydney. I think he's from Sydney. That's the only place I know in Australia. Sending tanks right into Sydney, attacking the other Paul. We have to fight and we have to win because this is the battle of the ages. If the other Paul gets to 1,000 subscribers first, he's he just hit 900, so he's 50 ahead of me. So I'm a little bit behind right now. I had a little bit of a late start, but I got some good steam going. So all I need to do, hit 1,000 before him. And he'll have to say the creed of the Council of Trent. Just joking. <laughs> oh, here. Hey, the other Paul. How's it going? Yes, I will send emus at him. Look, come on. We can beat some Australian Protestants. They literally lost a whole war to emos. Emos. Emus. However you say him. Emos. <laughs> Not emo. Emus. They lost a whole war to emus. Come on now. We can beat them. Okay, so Massachusetts sucks says, bro, the other day you literally had two live streams. Are you a saint who can bilocate or something? I don't know. I guess you guys have to find out. The uh, militant Thomist is legion. So, oh, Alex is here. How's it going, Alex? It's going good. How you doing, bro? Doing good. So have you taken your mom's phone yet? Went to YouTube and then subscribed to Milton <laughs> Thomas? I'm gonna be honest with you. I, ha I haven't taken uh I haven't taken my mom's phone and subscribed to Milton Thomas. Come on. I'll be totally, totally honest here. Come on. I, said, yeah. I got I got I can't lie to you. I have to be, you know, I gotta look you in the eyes man to man and be like, I'm yeah. sorry, Christian. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna start going through the phones of my house because this is this is the war of the century right here, Alex. <laughs> Me, the other Paul, face to face, toe to toe, and we're gonna we're gonna have to it's like, we're gonna have to duke it's like it out. The, it's like the Council of, of Florence, where he's Mark of Ephesus, and you're the entire Roman Catholic Church, and that and that and that and that. And that uh... Oh no, you cut out. F in the chat. For those who are boomers and listening, F in the chat is not a bad word. Okay. 
Oh, you're okay. back now. Yeah, you disappeared for a little bit. Oh, yeah. the other Paul is how how's it going, my enemy? <laughs> I will airdrop Australian wildlife and insects on your house. <laughs> and then I'll take I'll take their phones and subscribe to Militant Thomas. I will <laughs> thumbs down all your videos. I will I will I will declare your entire state harem and inflict holy genocide upon them. Oh, crap, I forgot you have some Middle Eastern ancestry. I don't want I don't want any jihads coming for for, uh, hey, for I'm me. the I'm the I'm the I'm the I'm technically I'm the underdog underdog here because you've got I'm just a theological maverick dude so I'm a, I'm a Protestant but so many I have people the whole me from Catholic Church you've got literally the whole Catholic Church backing you so like you're the establishment and I'm the underdog here so yeah, ladies and go. gentlemen genocide my subscribe button right now I want Let's you to this carpet be the carpet, Catholic establishment carpet nuke my subscribe button like not carpet bomb just carpet nuke it. Okay, so what what theological topic are we going to talk about tonight? I don't know. The only thing I you wanted to know. say is I commented Let's talk on about the, genocide. I commented. <laughs> I was just looking up the Midianites. We can talk about genocide if you want to at some other point. But uh, the uh, the thing with the uh, uh, the video that you just did a like a reaction to, I don't know what you want to call it, like a response to or whatever. Yeah, that video is so like funny just because it's like he's appealing like i pointed like he's appealing to chalcedon while all of the chalcedonian fathers harshly disagree with the interpretation of this verse like yeah. all of them would say you're wrong about this yeah so all, it's weird honestly to like to not even that. not even like just on the thing about like substantial versus local presence that's like a bit of a, a difficult minute point yeah but but like did did he never did he, did also he never like EOS... think he also says EOs don't believe in transubstantiation, which is just wrong. Like it's just like provably wrong. Like they they do believe in transubstantiation. In the Catholic sense, they don't. I they think don't use. They there don't you go, use Chopo. the term. They don't use the term transubstantiation because they don't like it. They don't like using terms that like have like. Hey, Chopo, wrong. do you want your house uh, to become Kosovo? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> they don't like using terms that have Roman Catholic like implications. But like even Father Thomas Hopkins will say like we basically believe everything they do. The only thing they won't do is explain it as much as like Thomas will. Yeah. They kind of leave a lot more of it to mystery. But yeah, they basically I... say that the same thing. The accidents, Hang the on, accidents say the same, but the substance change. This is this is orthodoxy. <laughs> it's mystery, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jay Dyer. They're 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 just so apathetic. It's a mystery. Like, more than the more than the news thing. Classical to me, foundationalism. More than the news thing to me, the the Neoplatonism of Eastern Orthodoxy is mostly found in how radically apophatic it can be, and I mean Neoplatonism in the negative sense here, not the not Neoplatonism <laughs> in the base sense. <laughs> yeah. the, the other poll, do you do you find yourself to be a Neoplatonist? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Plotinus is wrong about too many things to call myself Plotinus. a Neoplatonist. I'm sorry, who's Plotinus? I know a Plotinus. I don't know a Plotinus. <laughs> we all call him Plotinus. Plotinus, that's so. Gay, I'm so sorry. Why can't just... why can't people just like agree that like different names are pronounced differently? So like like disagree. So do you pronounce it? Do you pronounce it Augustine or Augustine? I I pronounce it Augustine. <laughs> yeah, because I literally I, named I my kid after the dude, so I have supremacy over the name. I so say Vincent both. says oh, yeah. the USS Liberty incident that subscribe and bell button. Oh yeah, also <laughs> I saw. So in other words, do all, nothing to that subscribe button. You know. <laughs> In all of my like analytics and stuff, it shows me how many of you have your bell buttons on. And I always forget to remind you of this, but mm. uh, make sure you hit that bell button so it alerts you when I I'm do. going live. I do have stuff. that. Like, I also the have subscribe to... button. The subscribe button is the North Tower. The bell button is the South Tower. 
<laughs> Where's World Trade Center 7? Um, Where's the Building YouTube 11? Membership Other Paul? What's Building 11? Which one's Building what's, 11? Other Paul? What's Building 11? Um, Gab, subscribe to our Gab. Gab is, is going to be the future for us one day. It's not a matter of if, but when, most likely. Unless YouTube becomes independent again. Especially if I now. keep making, especially if I keep saying the words Building 11, then it might become the alternative much more fast than you expect. Okay, but, uh, so... Uh, Christian, do you, have, do you have gunpowder in the United States? No. That sounds oh, very okay. intimidating. That sounds very what, intimidating. What do you, what do you think about um, baptism? Are you like a pedo Baptist or credo Baptist? I forgot to ask you. Um, I'm erring towards pedo Baptism. Based. That that seems more likely. Um, I think there's good arguments for credo Baptism, but I think pedo Baptism has the edge. Um, oh, that's because I believe the 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 reality, the continue the continual nature of of like of a covenant nature within the church i don't think that's a i don't think you can avoid that really like did you oh my gosh the best meme on this the best did you did i send you that meme um i think someone sent it in my discord whereas um joshua the baptist so it gets that passage where he's speaking to israel and he's like as for me and my house we will serve the lord or yeah. choose whom you will serve but it's like yeah. that it's, it's like I will I will personally make a decision to follow Christ and and and, and just ignores uh, bringing his household along. I've got to find it. So find so Christian. So I guess I no no that's. Does the other poll hold the limited atonement? Yes, at the moment. Um, I've seen good arguments against it though, so I'm still investigating it. But I think I think, I think with some I... more recent reflection. So like for example, the key the key proof text against it is like Hebrews five ten twenty nine, where it talks about. The hypothetical dude who blasphemes against the name of the Lord by, uh, by against the blood of Christ by which he was sanctified, and that and that seems to entail that this person really was saved, but then other Paul is like Michael. So, I think, but I think when you take seriously, I've I've recently thought more now that when you really take seriously the distinction between sanctification and um and justification in the Protestant paradigm that the two are distinguished like for someone who's saved you get both you can't not have both but there can be people who in a sense from the effects of the blood of christ through his death and through its real effects and creation yeah. can to a degree achieve some level of sanctification and yet were never destined as the elect to begin with simply because yeah. they did get those effects from the blood of christ but i like, I like so I think it's because i mean we agree on election but i like augustine's uh distinction between those elected to perseverance and then those merely elected to uh like merely that's elected really to be a part of the church for a while I, that's I think a that really honestly, that's actually a really good distinction yeah i, I think like, i think in a fundamental sense everyone's elect sense in, a, in, a, in a sense yeah. everyone is elect to something yeah but then the elect the uppercase e elect or the uppercase kappa kletoi, um are the because i, know, I think difference. i think we, no if, we have a, if we have a category of people that are elected to a certain like non-persevering grace mm. I think that that would make the most sense. So, so functionally, you would say that you would hold some kind of limited atonement. Um. Well, you know, in a kind of, kind of, in a kind of maybe. No, because but, but now probably yeah. not because you would say that those people who are only elected for a certain period of time really were atoned for, but then they eventually just <laughs> see you later. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, this so has to. So basically, I actually have a whole paper that I wrote about this uh, from. From Saint Thomas on his view of uh, was it peer the extent of the atonement. 
No, it wasn't, but I'm thinking. No, I don't want to hear about it. Sorry, bro. I'm going to edit it. I'm actually thinking of editing it and uh, submitting it to a journal. That'd be right. But it it is on my Patreon. So patreon.com slash Militant (laughs) Thomas if you want access to the whole paper. Basically what St. Thomas's view is that Christ in his his, uh, life, death, burial, and resurrection has has acquired a certain active potency or a certain uh, power. There's no such thing as active potency. (laughs) Okay, active potency. Where he applies um, applies the the uh, atonement to everybody, but because of a certain um, but in that application to everybody, he doesn't um, in in everybody dispose matter to form, so dispose the person to receive the atonement. So it's like it's all grace. It's not saying like, oh, he's offering it to everybody. You just have to make your choice. No, he's he's applying it to everybody. And those who he um, those who he prepares for the reception of that atonement are those who actually receive it. The other ones just uh, receive it in potency or potentially receive it. So that's St. Thomas's distinction in like scholastic language. And I think uh, if you're more interested on this topic uh, from a reforms perspective, a dissertation on the death of Christ by John Davenant. Uh, that's a really good work. Uh, he's actually a he was actually at the Synod of Dort uh, as an English delegate. He was a bishop in the Church of England, and he was ar- he's a reformed author arguing against limited atonement. Very very good reading of both the medievals and also a very uh, deep reading of the reformed authors that came before him. So that's a really good tool for anybody interested, even if you're uh, even if you're a Catholic. And I'll send I that always... link in the chat real quick. I always remember him because I always like have an internal like battle of how you're supposed to pronounce his name, like where the stress lands. Because part of me wants to say Davenant, like where the stress is on, like yeah, you know, it just, it just, I don't know. It's, a, it's a, it's a weird name. I don't like that name. It, it, it stresses me out that name. Huh. But I feel like I, I feel like I've seen it somewhere else. But I, I love like, yeah, Davenant, Davenant Institute. That's where I go to go to yeah. school. Oh wow! I love Chopo. He uh, Alex is wearing a mask because he doesn't want to inhale the steam from Paul and Christian's vapes. That's true. That's yeah, it's true. like it's like our, our I'm actually. Uh, I actually the way over to Alex. Uh, the, the one guy in the Byzantine Scotist and what, who else was it? Uh, other channel I was in. I was on uh, on, on uh, John Fisher's channel. The one guy in their comments who said it's because I'm, I'm a man child who wants to give myself brain damage. That guy is actually <laughs> that guy is actually right. I'm Based. sorry. I, I have to come clean here, guys. It has nothing to do with anonymity. It has something entirely to do with the fact that I'm actually a. I actually voted for Hillary Clinton illegally. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a chill stream. What is wrong with you? I'm sorry. You got to be serious. I had Who's to, more I had gay, to... Newman or a male TikTok influencer? Yes. Looks, look, looks like uh, looks like somebody got put in timeout. Ruh-ro. <laughs> I didn't want to say about Newman. That was kind. Of, I thought it'd be interesting. More of a more of a uh, a comment than a question, but I thought it was interesting. Wait, why isn't did this? Let me see. There was. I don't think um, the Amazon link is sending. There's a bunch of Newman's poems in the back of the Liturgy of the <laughs> Hours, and I'm not 100 percent mm-hmm. sure why they're there, but there's a bunch of them. Is Newman's Newman's great? Okay, oh, yeah, so great. Catholic yeah, Gabe, he asked, just for clarification, what's the reform view on the real presence? So when it comes to, um, so the most putting it uh, most basically, when it comes to the bread and the wine. They're consecrated as uh, sacraments, as elements. They are uh, they are signs, which um, which are signs of something which is signified. But they're also uh, real instruments. So there's a certain uh, virtue uh, 
um, Thomas Cranmer will talk about it. There's a virtue which is present in the sacraments or a virtus, virtus, if you want to be the other Paul, a power, a certain power, where when you receive the sacraments in faith, you receive the thing signified. But um, if you receive it not in faith, you actually don't receive the sacrament, which would be different from the Catholic view, which is no matter who receives the sacrament, receives the sacrament. But those who are ill disposed to the reception of the sacrament, i.e. in mortal sin, would uh, would eat and drink damnation onto themselves by receiving the body of Christ unto judgment. Mm. So that ba- basically in like a 30 second. But uh, mm. if you go to Matthew Pearson and I, we have a... Uh, Yep. a whole like hour, like 45 minute hour long discussion on what would, the form view what would of the Eucharist. The, what would be the view of like uh, Melanchthon and like the Lutherans on real presence? Cause I've, I've never been too familiar with what they viewed on the top. Yeah. There's a, there's a certain union. Um, they, they would, cause I mean, it's commonly called, but the Lutherans don't describe themselves as this commonly called uh, consubstantiation, but there's yeah. really in it, the best way of thinking of the Lutheran view is to think of, the way in which Christology works, where the the hypostasis of the sun would be uh, the the bread, and mm-hmm. then you have the uh, the one hypostasis in two natures. So the bread is in two natures. It has the nature of so bread, like, and then it also yeah, has yeah. the nature of Christ, okay, which is yeah, substantially yeah. present there. That's interesting. And it's really the, the the early like Lutheran movement is really interesting to me because there's like a bunch of really interesting stuff with um, Melanchthon like spending time in Constantinople and almost becoming EO, but like they wouldn't accept him on like Sola Scriptura and a couple other things, so he just left. Christ. It's really weird. Like yeah, yeah like, there, they were there super was... close. There was there's like a lot of like talk between them, and a similar thing happened. Like there was like around the time of the Oxford movement, just a bit after, there's a bunch of Anglicans who like who do like a similar thing. Like they try yeah. to go to to the Eastern Orthodoxy, and they kind of go, "No, guys, sorry, you're not just gonna, <laughs> you can't just believe against the Scriptura, sorry." And they yeah, but there was some Anglo-Catholics it. who did um, in the Tractarian movement did become Eastern Orthodox, but that yeah, was much did, small yeah. ones who who swam the Tiber. You have a lot there of was... good authors from from that era because that's because we don't have much stuff from Eastern Orthodoxy in English. But yeah. we have a good bit of a corpus from those authors who converted to Eastern Orthodoxy. That's how. Um, that's actually. So that's how the Western Rite got started. Was there was a there was a handful of Anglicans, Episcopalians more specifically, in America, <laughs> uh, in America who wanted to become uh wanted to become Orthodox. Who like sent a letter to the uh to Tikhon in Moscow, who was the patriarch at the time, saying like, "Hey, can we use our liturgy, but like be be Orthodox?" And he was like, sure, just change. And he just kind of like told them what to change. And that's how like the liturgy of St. Tikhon, which is like the Orthodox ordinary version. Okay. So yeah, Johann Gerhard, he's a, he's a Lutheran scholastic. I've only read his, uh, his disputation on um, predestination. And it wasn't, it wasn't anything to write home about. I mean, I, I don't like, but I'm assuming that him on basically everything else, because I have heard a lot of Lutherans say that, uh, Gearhard wasn't that good on predestination. It's just, it's hard to explain his his view of predestination because it's like, oh yeah, electing in regards to faith, but he gives the faith and like, and it's like super super weird. So, yeah. if you want to know more about Vincent, so Christ's three natures according to Luther, no, but uh, if you want to know more about Lutheran Christology, I actually have an interview with uh, Doctor Jack Kilcrease on this and basically when it comes to um 
when it comes to Lutheran Christology, it's you know what, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna defer to uh, defer to the interview because it's a little bit it's a little bit more nuanced than I could yeah. uh, than I can yeah. give right now. <clears throat> With these after dark streams, are they like? Do you want to dedicate into like a certain topic or just whatever comes up? Basically, it's kind of whatever comes up. I mean, with the description, I will yeah. put on like the main topics. If we ever have like a 30 minute stretch of talking about one topic, I'll put that on the main topics. Right. But fair enough. Kind of. I mean, if you if you guys have anything you want to specifically talk about, then. Yeah, that's I it. wanted to I wanted to actually because now, now we're going to talk, talk about the Protestant, Protestant information, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, I wanted to ask you uh, just because I'm really curious, like, do, do Hussites still exist? Does it, anyone who still follows? I think uh, so. No, I yeah, yeah, yeah. The the modern Mormon, there was a but... Church of Bohemia um, that that existed up to the Reformation. They kind of got and, like taken in, or maybe that's the one from Italy. Is that? I think there's a few. Out, is, is I'll be I'll Jan, be Milton Jamie and pull it up. Is it Jan Hus or is it? How do you pronounce yeah, his first name? I've heard it called Jan Hus. Yeah. No double yeah, these... predestination. Boo. I don't so like Lutherans it. essentially affirm that if one is saved, then he was elected unconditionally. But if he was lost, he resisted grace by his unbelief and obstinacy. Yeah, no, because... no double, no double predestination. <clears throat> I, I mean, everybody's, yeah. everybody believes in double predestination. Yeah, because like, it. because that's either, it. because I think more people, if they understood a classical view, and I mean, that's <clears throat> not saying that you're dumb or anything, uh, Christian, but um. <laughs> Because it, yeah. it is really, really misunderstood, even in reform circles. Yeah. But basically, if you're having if you're saying that Christ did not elect these people, that is double predestination, because that's yeah, how that's uh, even a lot of the classical <clears throat> reformed authors will use very soft language like uh, reprobation is just non-election and, and, and stuff yeah, like that. So I, there's I a would, broad, broad, uh, broad stream of. Uh, I would ideas. say that the only ones who truly do deny a double predestination would be would be the Pelagian slash provisionists today, or the universalists. Yeah, I eat Vladimir Lovsky. Because, <laughs> and, but even then, that's only because their worldview is entirely incoherent. When you think about, it. when you ask them questions about, yeah. like, well, how does history go about? Does God is history truly out of God's control, or does he, no. at, at bare minimum, like as per the Molinist paradigm? Does he yeah. choose a possible world or sorry, a feasible world to actualize? And even, <laughs> and even then in that sense, that is a double predestination because he does yeah. ultimately choose what, what combination of people are saved and damned, oh, even if in only a I very wish. indirect I respect. forgot Chopo's part from that, from that part of the world. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just looked it up. I just looked it up. There's the, oh, okay. Jan not, not check us out. What was, but, what was the, what was his, con what was he, what was his controversial belief? What was Jan Hus? What was his uh, kind of. That sacrament <laughs> should be in, uh, should be in two kinds. What does he mean by two kinds? I know nothing about uh, this. In, in bread, in bread and wine, rather than just in in bread. Yeah, which he was kind of right about. Not going to hundred percent agree. Hundred percent. <laughs> but I there think, was I there were some other issues with church authority that uh, okay. that he had. Um, but he actually like affirmed things like transubstantiation. So he so wasn't in what, like. In, yeah. in what super, sense is he considered a a proto reformer? Just that he had the the gall to stand up to the church, or what? In what sense is he considered a proto reformer? Well, I mean, he had he emphasized certain ideas uh, from Wycliffe. Mm -hmm. uh do you know who Wycliffe is i know vaguely i know the name yeah Wycliffe was uh let me see i think he was late 14th century maybe see, early I, 15th I, century a uh, proto-reformer he's called the yeah. uh this the morning star of the reformation uh Thanks. but he <clears throat> he basically uh, uh Wycliffe denied transubstantiation Wycliffe like had a um 
very uh, non-Catholic view of church authority versus civil authority and and things like that. I mean, the the role of scripture. Uh, so you're gonna you're gonna have like all of these like pieces because I mean these guys you can't call them properly reformers because I mean some of them held to yeah. papist views, but yeah. they they did hold to these like uh, smatterings of of reform thought. And then yeah. uh, what happened is Wycliffe wrote his stuff, and then Huss translated it into Bohemian yeah. and started to profess some of his <laughs> beliefs, and that's why he got yeah. And and there was Wycliffe's, Wycliffe's translation just, of the Bible, which I believe was banned, if I'm not mistaken. I was just reading the yeah. the, the the like opening paragraph on 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 Huss's like Wikipedia page, and it's really funny. He says some consider him to be the first church reformer, but is also John Wycliffe or Marcion of Sinope. And I'm like, why? <laughs> I mean, that's a Marcian. large cap. That's a, that's a large <laughs> cap of history. Like you, okay. oh, yes. Mar Marcion, that 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 infamous infamous papist Marcion. Yeah. So uh, so Vincent asks, so double predestination does not necessarily mean predestined damnation. So there's a distinction made. Um, this is a reform distinction. I think the distinction is also present in St. Tom, Thomas between uh, reprobatio and damnatio. So with reprobatio, that is that is God um, not on account of sin uh, deciding to just not give grace. He's, he's deciding to let people fall into their own sins. So mm, that is yeah. that's all that is, is to let them yeah. fall into sin. And then, yeah, the, exactly. then damnatio is God beforehand um, damning them on account of their sins. So damnatio is is not unconditional. There is a condition of sin there. But reprobatio which is uh which yep. is uh the letting them fall into their sins. That yep. is that is <clears throat> unconditional actually. And and that's something that so many anti-predestinarian apologists including including modern Molinists, which I think even Father James could sympathize with because he he says because Father James, if I remember correctly, Christian, he specifically holds to the middle knowledge thing, but not necessarily all the tenets of like Molinism, for example. Yeah. Nor would I say like what all modern Molinist apologists say, like when they give the polemic of, oh, well, under the under the absolute, uh, what is it, like absolute or eternal divine um, determinism that God just chooses you, makes you be damned, makes you do bad and all that stuff. The way that they characterize is that. And yet time and time and time again, you get reformed people and and hopefully more so more optimistic persons like you will say no he is allowing them to remain in a nature they already have there is a big bloody difference <laughs> yeah so, yeah. so I, was, I was gonna say um it wasn't it wasn't tyndale's translation of the bible um sorry it wasn't um wickliffe's that i was thinking of but i got william tyndale's uh new testament in english and it's actually a like a facsimile so it's actually got photos of the manuscript so it's really really cool that's nice oh that is kind of cool it is really cool. It's that old kind of English where it uses a lot of Ys in in the place yeah. in the place of I. You can get a. It's, uh, it's a difficult read, but it's actually fascinating. You can get a, a original, uh, uh, like a, a. They're still making like uh, versions of the Geneva Bible, which is really funny to me. Like there's still mm -hmm. like Geneva. Is there Geneva Bible only out there? Yes. Please tell me there's <laughs> the, the King James. The King James Bible. Uh, it was seen as papist by a lot of yeah. the Puritans of the day, so they preferred <laughs> to hold to the Geneva Bible because the King James Bible. You have to remember, it uses words yeah. like bishop. It uses like it, it has divine right of kings. It uses word like church, like the word church was like hugely controversial yeah. um, Sorry, yeah. in in Bible translations in That's the so early funny. 17th century. Oh. We should make like a mock. We should do like a mock skit on that because that's something I've wanted to do for such a long time. Like make skits. And I actually yeah. do want to eventually get to that on like various kind of things like this, and but then do do it with this, where it's like Geneva onlyism. Like, <laughs> like you, you papist Anglicans, and then it's like... <laughs> you, 
You mean, well, they didn't even call it like Southern Baptists. You'd call them Papists. Okay, so the other Paul, the other Paul, I was I was reading um, Saint John of Damascus in his uh, in his treatises on on icons, and I really usually dislike the argument from like uh, Second Thessalonians, like hold fast to the traditions and and stuff like that, whether by word of mouth or by epistle. But John of Damascus, interestingly enough, actually uses that um, uses that verse in proof of uh, of an unwritten tradition during his day. So it was a lot earlier than I thought. And, it uh, is, yeah. It's a very. And I, I think I'll need to I look at the remember that. a little bit more from actual people that aren't like brain dead pop apologists. Yeah, that's it. Like they, they, they. It apparently never gets through their heads. So many pop apologists, and even more what, would, what you would call advanced apologists who would sometimes appeal to that. As if they they never consider the distinction that reformed apologists time and time and time and time again bring up that yes there was a period of inscripturation where there was living divine revelation from the mouth of the apostles and Christ himself of course but eventually they died and all we have of them is our scriptures from our perspective there's a there's a difference it's a very simple nuance I don't think I don't know I don't get why people oh, just ignore hate. that <clears throat> I was gonna say that other Paul I want to say that earlier when he was talking about uh limited atonement where other paul's like michael lofton where you ask other paul a simple yes or no question he's like well actually i have a nuanced opinion on this and i believe yeah, it's yeah. similar but other yeah that's paul's it. yes or no questions yes or no questions very are very i do yeah, try yeah. to say a yes or no when i can because i yeah yeah as much as i do nuance things i don't like nuanced bros who who try to nuance things that truly are a simple yes or no so i do try yeah, to and say i don't yes no and i'll i'll just give you a hard time also i i was like like there's a difference between like just like giving a comp like like it's interesting saying I don't know, but I lean something, and also just nuancing your position just to sound like you're intelligent, like to be just to student. get and just to get away from it. There's nuance where it actually is <laughs> Jay Dyer, where, <laughs> where it's actually we actually need to nuance your answer because a simple yes or no could give misleading uh, implications. Yeah, but then there's times where there's nuance just to just to escape a question, like if it's a, you if know it's that topic, uh, for example, Jay Dyer apparently. So I was thinking about this in. Uh, a server where Jay Dyer apparently changes his view regarding the energies where he believes some energies can be created now. So he's changed his view a bit, I guess. Because uh, he I used to know. condemn I... that. Give me one sec. Oh, oh, oh here. Yo. Okay, oh. one, one second. Byzantine oh. Scotus. Christian had a day. Hey, Biz, um, Byzantine Scotus is in the chat. He's in the private chat. He's here. So yeah. Christian needs to let him in. I actually, wanted, I actually wanted to be here because I wanted, I wanted to talk to him about something. That he, he, he brought up a very interesting point. I can't remember what it was. I, I would I would love, I'm so happy you're here, Byzantine Scotus, uh, Gideon, that because I, I yeah. really wanted to talk more about the implications, what you think of um, of how Jimmy Aiken just straight up denied the consensus of the fathers on interpretation. Well, I'm just going to leave the Byzantine I, Scotus in the back room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, so I'm going to read I'm going to read the entirety of Attorney Patrice real quick for you. <laughs> No, that's just Duncan. So yeah, so, so the Byzantine Scotus. I have something, to, I have something to ask you real quick before we get before we get into that. Um, I was listening to uh, there's this interesting lecture that was posted on Census Fidelium about the Leonine era and Leonine Thomism, mm -hmm. and it was talking about what like uh, Pope Saint Pius X and uh, Leo the Thirteenth. I don't know if Leo the Thirteenth is a saint, but Leo the Thirteenth. They they talk about. Um, like Thomism being like the philosophy of the church, like the perennial philosophy of the church, like yeah. all are bound to teach and believe in Thomism, like professors who have to teach Thomism and like stuff like that. So how, how would you um, disagree with Thomistic philosophy? Like with these magisterial statements? 
Yeah, I would say those are prudential because the church was trying to deal with a crisis at the time where um, the world was turning away from the church. The church, if you look at the time, scholasticism had kind of been dead for about 100, 150 years at this point. Yeah. Um, and so I think the church was desperately trying to find something to fight the Enlightenment. And there already was a critical edition of St. Thomas's works out. They're relatively easy to understand. And I think the church made an overall good prudential decision of saying, you know, we need a unified stance right now as our official stance to fight things. And I think that it was a good choice properly to choose Thomism there. Scotism was a little bit in disarray at the time. It's only been recently that we even have gotten a a good critical edition of the Ordinatio out. Yeah, it was like 2011, somewhere around there. <clears throat> I can't remember yeah. exactly when it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, but okay. but also those 24 Thomistic theses with <laughs> magisterial weight to them. I, I don't know because I read, yeah. I also read like um, Fides et Ratio, where I think it's, yeah, it's Pope John Paul II. He talks about how there's no philosophy. You, the, the church cannot bind uh, theologians to a certain philosophical yeah. system, but it seems like. At least under, especially under Pope St. Pius X, like it was draconian uh, under him. Like yeah, they were binding uh, them to, uh, to I systems. don't think they combine people to hold a position, but I think they combine them to teach a position. Because when you're, as a teacher, I mean, I work as a teacher myself. I had to sign a statement saying that I would not teach contrary to the magisterium. And they even said, yeah. like, if you privately hold an opinion, like, contrary you just when you're in the classroom you can't teach that and you can't they said you can't even publicly anywhere state that as part of your agreement to work at the job because you're setting a certain example for the kids there okay so give me one second i've even leaned towards this somewhat recently on the death penalty of how much should a catholic openly disagree maybe they might say i disagree that it's irreformable and that it's um like not required, but I could think that there might be a good case that a Catholic right now, for example, should not be advocating the death penalty be the actual law of the state for the sake of the unity of the church in obedience. That's like the, that's kind of an argument that, um, that I know Lofton makes where he says like to like to even to uh, like think that you could make a sent to the, to the Pope statement, you have to be well, well more learned than most people on the internet are. Yeah, so like to even approach having to even approach having disagreement on the topic, mm-hmm. you should probably do a lot of self evaluation yeah. to make sure you I, actually learn enough to. And disagree. I also think if you disagree, right? If you're a politician, or we're as in democracy, we're all to some degree politicians going in and voting. We have to think about right that in that case, we do have to be obedient to the spiritual authority, which was he- set above the civil authority, even where we might not like the current prudential decisions of that spiritual authority. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's the same. It's the same issue where, like, you know, like, for example, and this is a bit different because uh, it's uh, it has a lot more. Impl- I'm, I'm oversimplifying this, and I'll admit I'm oversimplifying it. But I think it's a somewhat decent analogy in a sense where, like, you know, like yeah, like the Novus Ordo or something like that, where it's like people emotionally might not like the Novus Ordo, but you sort of have to deal with its existence prudentially. Like it has yeah. a place in the church that you can't just That's deny. The big difference, though, of course, being that that was like actually put in place by an ecumenical council. So that one's really, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of to be fair, yeah. yeah. That, one, that one's right. a bit more, think... although, uh, although it is of course, uh, it is of course in a sense established ordinarily. So it's not like it was, 
But like, yeah, in a sense, yeah, it has a lot more weight behind it than just a catechetical. Yeah, that's it. Whereas provision. I think with the death penalty, even with a Catholic perspective, obviously with my proposition, I'm just like, <laughs> Pope's wrong. Death penalty is good and should be a thing. Like prudential, notwithstanding prudential arguments. But even then, I'd say even from a Catholic perspective, it's good. And I think there should be, even from Catholics, some pushback. Um, because in because in the end, there's no these aren't these aren't magisterial per se statements. These are changes to the catechism. There's like an, there's encyclicals or what have you from JP two, mm-hmm. but fundamentally, it's yes. Even though there is the binding on the will from the not non infallible statements as said in Vatican two, but there is still room for saying, well, uh, this this could be erroneous. Yeah, like, yeah. You do that with yeah. yeah. The, when, yeah I, like, I've I've thought about the death still, penalty. You could still say you could still argue. Look, magisterium hasn't said anything on it, so I'm free to say this. Um, that the that for example Genesis chapter nine hypothetically speaking nine five to six actually establishes that the death penalty is not a mere it, it's yeah. not a mere lesser good in response to uh, in response to physical facts like how a murderer could get out and start killing more people but it is actually a an inherent good in that you ought to put to yeah. death those who who snuffed out the image of God. Um, because there is true value in the image of God, and thus you warrant your own death. You can still there's still some time and some room for Catholics yes. to start and, uh, pushing that a bit more. I've I've I been thinking I've been thinking about have, this. Uh, um, oh, go ahead, visit. Oh, yeah. I see. I have seen <laughs> some people argue that this Pope Francis has only addressed the prudential argument against the death penalty and has not addressed the fact the argument that it could be required by justice. That therefore he has not ruled out that we can advocate the death penalty on that basis. Yeah, no. but that seems to me a little bit playing around with things Zephyr, i'm not i should probably yeah, stop yeah. talking here because i'm not an expert on the magisterium and i'm going to say something dumb that someone's yeah, yeah. After me. when, when, it, yeah, when it comes to... when it comes to this issue i've thought about it a lot recently yeah mm-hmm. so when when we consider uh prudentially especially we have to think of one the good of the polis so the good of the mm-hmm. community so com- community community good not comp not uh the the i i just like using political or community good better because that has all the doesn't have like the greater good sort of connotations the greater good when it comes to to, uh, common good then also when it comes to individual good so if we think about it from the uh frame of common good you have a few goods which come from the death penalty so first first it protects the rest of the polis from the person which can be honestly with uh with prison i guess you could have the same effect and that's what francis is going off of and with the second one, you could also have the good of the polis by uh, dissuading others from from uh, murdering and other crimes like rape and whatever you want to put under the death penalty. And then also when it comes to which does not happen under uh, life in prison. And then also when it comes to individual good, you have the individual good of setting a person's death date that really brings people to repentance. Yeah. You see often yeah, it does. that people go into repentance and either uh, either completely convert, which is very common, or people uh, are not led into greater sins to merit greater yeah. punishment. And, yeah. Because if you're in a prison, basically for the individual being in prison is terrible when it comes to falling into uh, further vice and crime. So I think That's there's it. a lot more That's issues cool. at hand than just protecting yeah. the polis from and, a certain person. 100%. And, and I, if I, I may, think so, really sorry, yeah, sorry really, yeah. really, no, really, go ahead. Yeah. Because, because this really taps into my own experience as a guy with... I haven't got an official technically diagnosis, but my psychologist has told me that, yeah, I've, I have very clear symptoms of ADHD. And as someone who, 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 who has that experience where if there's like with assignments, for example, let's talk about school. So if I have assignments, I can do, I do pretty badly with them a lot of the time, especially in the recent periods of lockdowns primarily, although I've been mitigating against it because the consequences of that are quite 
light and abstract, so to speak, like failing an assignment and failing a subject. It's kind of like a long kind of chain of things where when your mind is so immediately now focused, like with ADHD, it doesn't really process that much. But then contrast that with myself when if I'm in an actual teaching environment or in a job, for example, there's immediate consequences. You are in the real world. You're doing real stuff. And if you mess up, there's going to be, you're going to immediately feel the hurt, like with pay, for example, or just straight up being fired. And I can see how that that's very much the same with the death penalty, where when you're on death row, the consequences immediate, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be put to death on this day. Whereas with life imprisonment, it's just life imprisonment. You're just doing life in prison. And so obviously you'll, there can be some deterrence with that, but it is a very prolonged, very drawn out consequence that a criminal in the heat of a crime may not register that much. Whereas, for example, and of course, some many criminals, the most deranged ones, of course, may not be deterred by the death penalty, but many criminals are. Because I remember reading in uh, in Ed Fees's book, his his book on the death penalty, um, by Manchester's Blood Be Shed. That was actually the first book I bought online with my own money really good book and he he actually relates a couple of stories one in particular that was quite eye-opening where this old lady she was being robbed and the guys were going through how she was tied up and bound but she can hear them talking and one of them suggested hey let's just kill her because she's a witness but then the other the other robber says to the other one no they had the death penalty here let's not do that so they were actually deterred from killing a woman because they knew there was a death penalty there and it makes perfect sense because as as you mentioned here there is the immediacy of that of being put to death versus the really drawn out nature of life imprisonment so yes the deterrence there is real and thus with respect to conversion that is very conducive to that contra many people i've i've talked with on the death penalty where it's like oh look if you just put them in prison they have time to think about and time to convert to christ and it's like well that may be true but the converse is demonstrably true where people really do consider their mortality once they're put on death row and and really consider coming to faith yeah. yeah, the only thing, yeah. I mean, me and other part an extended discussion about what uh, about what the revision meant about a week or so ago. I, I forget when we had it. We had we had a long discussion about what he actually even meant. But to me, I, as I said this to to Christian on the Discord server, where it's like, to me, it's not particularly. Uh, it's important in an abstract sense, but in a pragmatic sense, I don't find it to be the most important thing, just because like, the 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 ruling is basically stated, and so in in a way that where it's like. This is only really directly, uh, directly contingent or directly important to people who have an ability to actually affect if the death penalty is going on or not. So, like, it's not like me or Christian could stop people from being put to death. Like, we're going to run to the tech to the state of Texas and like stop execution or something, right? So, it, in an abstract sense, it's useful, but in a, in a directly pragmatic sense, I don't think it's worth enough to really debate over its validity. Unless you're someone who somehow has the has the yeah. uh, has the has the purpose or the ability to actually yeah yeah talk you wanted to get in a few things <laughs> yeah, yeah no it's good no um I think in terms of this question of putting them right to death and they have to make the decision right there basically they have an, and date they know they're gonna die I think that right at that point if you know you're gonna die at a certain date and you still refuse to repent at that point. I think that there's nothing that person's will was already fixed long ago against God. And there's nothing that that point that could change them except an influx of grace. Hmm. And God knows whether or not they're part of the elect. So if they're part of the elect, God will convert them in that time. Yes. Um, 
Now, as far as the scriptural arguments go, I think there's two scriptural precedents for the death penalty we see. We first see it's, or the second one we actually see later on is to purge the evil from among you. This one's listed for many different crimes that are done, but I think you one could make a case that life in prison theoretically fulfills the same role as that, that we're doing is removing that person from society. Now, the, and that's actually the one we get repeated a lot more often. But the first reason we get for the death penalty is the one Paul mentioned earlier, which mm -hmm. is that... Um, that's the primary reason. That is actually the first reason. That's the first reason given, right? That's by um, man was made in God's image. And so if you kill man, you're guilty of death there. And now yeah. that is the reason that isn't as clearly addressed. Now, it is notable that reason is only given for for murder, right? Other mm -hmm. charges of capital punishments are only to remove the evil from among you. So I don't think this can be applied to those. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, is that still strictly binding as it was under the Noachic Covenant? I'd be really curious to look at what the fathers of the church said on this matter and look into it more. I do think it's notable that when Christ is presented with an instance of instituting the death penalty for adultery, now it isn't for murder to be fair, so it doesn't apply the exact same, but in the yeah. case of adultery, he ultimately sets aside and does not institute the death penalty. Now I have read R.J. Rushdoony's commentary on it, where he tries Rushdoony. to argue... Rushdoony! <laughs> he tries to argue that basically the woman caught in adultery gets off by legal technicality, that there has to be two or three witnesses, Jesus is going to hold a trial, and by the end of it, there's zero legal witnesses there, and so therefore legally she can't be put to death, and this is just a technicality, that the reason why he doesn't put her to death. But that doesn't seem to be the actual reason in the story. That seems to be Rush Juni taking his pre-existing system that the civil law of Moses has to always be implemented literally and saying that if Jesus seems to contradict it, it must be because of some legal technicality there. Yeah. Um, and also I don't see the I don't see the 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 pastoral purpose of an unclear legal technicality and, and practicality. If that yeah. makes sense. Like, and, I so, and so I think I that yeah, I just want to finish up here. Um go, yeah. I was gonna say, yeah, this is where my thoughts of the death penalty are at. I think that there are good scriptural argue. I think most of the scriptural arguments against it are bad, but I could see the formation of much better scriptural arguments against it. And I see where the church is going there. And I do know the church fathers did advise for clemency. I was listen recently listening to a lecture from the Thomistic Institute about oh. um it's unrelated to their other stuff. It was actually at a conference they had on the common good a few years ago. They were having a discussion about a letter by St. Augustine sent back and forth with um, a local governor in Carthage. And he was advising, he told the governor that, yes, the civil authority is given the power for the death penalty, but out of Christian charity, the church often advises clemency if possible, but he does acknowledge that sometimes it's needed. But it doesn't yeah. seem to be the Ed Fazer approach. This is what sort of shocked me and made me rethink it a little bit. Is it doesn't seem Augustine has a sort of Ed Fazer approach of that we need it to sort of force them into repentance themselves. It seems that Augustine's approach is more simply for the sake of the common good it's sometimes necessary. So my thoughts on this right now are a little all over the place, as you can tell. Um, yeah. But I think that deeper reflection on it is needed. You know, I see the USCCB sometimes cite the verse about Cain not being able to be killed as sort of the great example of 
no executions, but that's because there was no one yet to carry out the death penalty in the time of Cain. That authority wasn't given until the time of Noah because man was not yet mature enough. We see the development of Noah into being more mature. And on top of that, because Cain is unable to be killed, this leads to the entire earth being filled with violence to the point where God literally has to send a flood to wipe out almost yeah. all of humanity. So clearly we don't want Cain to be our case study example. Of Heck of a do. capital punishment right there. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. If, if I may as well, with the, yeah. with the, the passage of the woman in adultery, um, with I believe I believe Rush Juni, if, if that's all he says about it. That, that's what he says in Institutes of Biblical Law. It is, yeah. I've, I've got, I've got volume one. Oh, yeah, volume one as well. Yeah. Um, if that's, if that was all he said about it, then it would be incomplete. But I believe his point isn't some. I believe his his point from that passage isn't something to be lightly looked over because the ramifications are actually really big. Because if Jesus did, we got it. We got to consider this. If Jesus did actually go to stone her, as per the law said, that legal technicality, they could actually use that against them. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, mm -hmm. that they could actually say, oh, look, this guy, who's this guy? Um, who's this guy claiming to be like the new Messiah? And he's directly violating the law mm -hmm. against the thing of two witnesses. And, and it's not merely a legal technicality. It's actually a really core principle that, that you've got to presume that you've got to, you've got to have good evidence. You've got to presume innocence and then have good evidence to overturn that so it wouldn't be a mere technicality yeah um, as, as the point of it it is actually a really strong thing but then also the second thing we've got to recognize is that well uh if he if he if he didn't of course if he if he straight up said no i'm not going to stone her just straight up then of course they'd, they'd accuse him of the same thing not upholding the law all that jazz so he they were trying to put him in a rhetorical trap and for jesus response the first thing to recognize in response to people who are against the death penalty who raise this passage as if it abolishes it the first thing to say, the first thing that everyone needs to recognize is one, Jesus does not directly say death penalty is bad. Let's not do it. Okay. That's the first thing to recognize that all the, what people are drawing from the passage is perceived implications from Jesus' statement. And Jesus' statement is quite simply, he of you who has not sinned shall cast the first stone. Now you've got to consider he's saying that because he is in a rhetorical trap. He is in a bind. Okay. So he, how he gets out of it is okay. Whoever hasn't sinned, you can come and cast the first stone. And why they all drop their stones and go away is because think about it. If any of them, if anyone came up to grab that first stone and chuck it, he would be saying to the entire crowd of the Jewish elite and to Jesus, I am without sin. And that would end up being an even worse situation. I, I, I think we also need to consider the fact that Jesus wasn't a magistrate. That's it. That, that That's it. That's the big one as well. Really, really big one too. He wasn't a magistrate, so he couldn't do that. And so when he got out of that bind with a brilliant response, it was in a way simply a technicality, but it was actually based on real, real principles. Yeah. And it was simply another demonstration of Jesus, how brilliant Jesus was at getting out of the dishonest traps of the Pharisees. And that in, in my conclusion, I believe that's the primary message of the passage that the Pharisees, they would do all these things to try and show, um, to try and show some badness in Jesus. And yet he was just so damn brilliant that he could get out of it every time. And then of course the final statement, when he says to the woman, has anyone is anyone here going to condemn you? And the woman's like, "Oh no, no one's here." And then Jesus says, "Neither do I." Then so go and sin no more. And to draw from that a principle from Jesus that the death penalty is bad is, in my humble opinion, like, and of course I'm not saying you're saying this, Gideon, but that's yeah. a potential argument because they do, especially in Protestant circles, it is a very often brought up passage, and they I, will say this. But that is that, that's Jesus the... because you're assuming a principle that Jesus Himself never explicates. You're simply drawing that assumption from his words where it could simply mm -hmm. be that for that situation he's getting out of a bind but it does um incidentally by providence 
demonstrate a period of mercy where Jesus can show mercy to a woman because she is actually not guilty according, or she's not being uh, properly rendered guilty according to the law. So that's yeah. how I would respond to a potential argument from that passage. Yeah, I do think uh, that it is probably the best scriptural passage that someone who's against the death penalty could appeal to, and I think it's much better yeah. than the Cain than the Cain argument because the Cain yeah. argument it's just I've not looking heard at context. Cain before. <laughs> yeah, it's cited by the USCCB, so that's how I encountered it. Um, oh, of course. <laughs> but yeah, um, something I did want to discuss is how the law is applied within it. I've been reading recently um, Common Good Constitutionalism by Adrian Vermeule, and something he discusses in here is how in classical theories of law, it's not simply a strict textualist reading, but has to be done in reference to justice in that particular situation. The yeah. judges actually yeah. are required to know both the natural law and the sort of common law of the nations it, and bring yeah. those into account and also the principles of justice when they're dealing with legal and divine cases. law. Yeah. And St. Thomas says divine law can help us there. Since Remuel is writing for how we, how judges in the U S should be judging cases. He does say in the book that there is a supernatural good that, that societies have to consider reference to that societies may consider reference to, but he sets that aside for the purposes of the book. Yeah. Um, but anyways, going to this, then you have to wonder, this is something I heard once in a James Jordan lecture critiquing theonomy, because he was a theonomist when he was young and then moved away. And he brought up the case of, let's say there was a homosexual couple in ancient Israel and they're in the synagogues, um, one Saturday and they're hearing a sermon being preached and they're preaching from Leviticus and they hear the sermon from Leviticus and it convicts their hearts and they realize, you know, I need to come and I need to repent of this. And they go to the courts, uh, to the elders at the gate, and they turn themselves over. They say they're guilty of um, this, and they're going to put themselves at the mercy of the court. And James Jordan asks, what is the court supposed to do in that case? And he points out, we don't have an exact biblical example mm. of where that happened. So we don't know what the courts would have done. And James Jordan suggests perhaps the courts would have gone, um, all right, you're forgiven, go on and sin no more. If you're guilty of this again, then you're going to be put to death. And he says, we don't know whether that would have been the case or they would have been required to strictly follow the law because we don't have an exact precedent of that in scripture. Yes, and, he and he says, he's responding to Bonson here. And Bonson's objection is, you don't have a good principle then for how we're going to have to deal with law if we jump in right now if we have to deal with this right this second and yeah. so bonson's answer to this then is um yeah the jordan's answer to this he says well the holy spirit is given to a man when he has to judge in a matter and he says the, that person will know at that time that judge will have just have to discern wisdom right it's not like it's a one-to-one -one answer. King Solomon has to pray for the ability to discern between good and evil and he writes a bunch yeah. of wisdom <laughs> books based on that um, and I think that this classical Roman legal principle of dealing with how it relates to justice in that particular circumstance is the 
tradition's way of stating the same scriptural idea that a judge needs the wisdom to discern between good and evil. They have to be mature. They have to have studied the law. I think they should study by one of my critiques of Vermeule's book. And I haven't read the whole thing, so I should, maybe shouldn't speak fully on this yet. But I wish he also discussed the importance of a judge studying biblical law because he talks a lot about 100%. Roman law in the book. And 100%. I think there's a lot of good to be learned by Roman law. But I think that that's secondary to the biblical law because, on, I mean, yeah. the psalm says, blessed is he who meditates upon the law of the Lord day and night. The only infallible law we've ever been given is the law of Moses. Um, this is why it's so important to believe in Mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch. And this was also divine inerrancy of scripture. These laws were not, Moses didn't come up with the laws in Exodus and Leviticus. They mm. were directly spoken by God. The laws yeah. in Deuteronomy are written by him. But that's after 40 years of him meditating and, and trying to implement in practice these laws. And he now reflects after 40 years and gives more details yeah. on how we're going to implement these laws. That's that's so I'm so happy you bring that up, especially the primacy of the, the Torah in jurisprudence. I, I would 100 mm. percent in my ideal world, the Torah is like the core legal yeah. text. Uh, and uh, what's so important with when you mention how it's mm -hmm. with, with that, with with interpreting not just the strict letter of the law. There's this concept mm. I like to think of where there's the letter of the law and there's the spirit of the law. Yeah. Because with the Torah, especially with a lot of modern scholarship today, one of the one of the really good fruits of modern scholarship, I will say, is showing the nature of the Torah, of the of of the law of Israel in light of how it's expected to function with the with the wider concept of law in the in the ancient Near Eastern context. Because mm. we have very we have other law codes that with respect to their function and structure, like not necessarily in content, but with just what they are as as mm. legal codes they are extremely similar because they are a list of very specific case law if you notice when you look in the torah the cases are very specific and it doesn't actually address every potential scenario yeah. even within a given topic it's case law and the intent of it is to give wisdom to the judges to come up with their own rulings because it, it may be in a, in a certain case if there's an exact mm. case that comes up and they can directly appeal to the torah but otherwise the yeah. expectation is that from this uh from this big collection of hey father james from this hey. big collection <laughs> of of specific case laws they're able to glean the what the principled uh overall spirit of those laws so that they can then apply it across the board to whatever other situations that come about so with respect so simply strictly keeping to the law in that literal sense is impossible and that was never the intent Rather, the intent was to give that spirit, give that wisdom to the judges so they can understand, okay, we have this, these precincts from all these case laws. This is the spirit that they're all based on. And thus now I can apply it to this case, to this case, and so on and so forth. So that, that is the intent there. That's how it should function. And I'm, in my opinion, the, the move in modern law from, um, from a spirit sense of the law, where it's the spirit of the law that's binding, not per yeah. se its specific letter to yeah. where now the law is based on specific texts and specific lines and texts. And that's why now in court, you'll see arguments over technical semantics over a specific word, reinterpreting it in light of the meaning of a word today. That is where I think some of the biggest aberrations in modern jurisprudence have come, where the yeah. spirit is totally ignored and it's all about the letter. Yeah, and I think this is something, even though I disagree with many points that Vermeule makes, especially regarding the administrative state, I think his work on trying to revive a common good theory, a classical theory of jurisprudence is overall pretty good. 
Um, so I wanted to also mention in regards to our discussion of the Mosaic Law, one of the requirements for being a king in Deuteronomy 17 is that you copy out the entire Bible for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I actually mm -hmm. think this should be a requirement. I think to be the U.S. president, by hand. You, should <laughs> you should have to by hand copy an entire Bible so you learn every single verse. But, but it. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be the, the law, though? So that'd be it was the law specifically, yes. It was, it was the, the law, was the but, law. I, but I think that was the first five books. And also now we want them to know the developed wisdom commentary mm -hmm. on it. We want them to know uh, the wisdom in the New Testament. So I I think it should be the whole Bible they should have to hand copy. Um, I think I, that they shouldn't be president, though. I think it should be a king. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to mention also a book recommendation I have here. It's called The Mosaic Code by Cyrus Rhea. You might wait till the other Paul comes back, because I think he would like this. I'm right here. Don't worry, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, nice. um, he, has, he has turned the Mosaic Law into, like, a legal code. This guy's a lawyer. So let me go to... Here we go. Oh, I know title, what you're talking Title 41.02, yeah. lost or damaged property. A bailiff is responsible for all properties entrusted to him by a bailee and is liable pursuant to Title 19, Penalty Code of Pro Property Offenses 49.01, and subject to the defenses set forth therein to pay restitution to the bailee for any loss or damage to the property entrusted to him. Source, yeah. Exodus 22, 7 to 12. And it's Bro. all this. It's turned the whole Mosaic Code into a legal code. And I think Thank this should absolutely so be studied. Much. Thank you so much for reminding me of that. I saw that years ago. And it's amazing how that works because it actually structures the whole Torah. Yeah, it does. It has like a very, into a very systematic legal code. It like has 24, le 24 sections in it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. Obviously, because of the nature of the Torah, it can't be comprehensive on everything, but it goes as far as you can. And it's, oh, it's so amazing. Thank yeah. you so much. I, I, really I think what... Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. I was just about to throw out there, Gideon. I think uh, one of the nice things about this, and especially Vermeule's project, um, is I think we've been saturated. And by we, I just mean... Uh, the Western conservative movement with a lot of legal positivism. Like if yeah. you look at the most successful jurist uh, that the cons that conservatives will champion, especially in the United States, it would be Justice Scalia, who um, he came to the right conclusions a lot of the time, but he made a lot of bad presumptions, especially just saying, oh, the law is what the Constitution says it is. And the reason why it always comes out to favorable judgments is because it goes off of by what a society in the 171800s thought was good which yeah it's conservative but that's bad legal ruling because if in terms of building precedent it basically means we're stuck to what the law says and not to what the moral good is i i do i do have to point out though that the job of a of a judge or a justice is not to decide what's best for us to go forward within the mm -hmm. law it, the the job of a justice or a judge is to actually interpret the law as it that's stands. It, yeah that's it the, the, so the, the, the that is a caveat there is fundamental like you can't go behind that true uh, i would so yeah i no, mean i wouldn't more, yeah 100 yeah no i wouldn't disagree that that is the job of a, a jurist but uh in terms of what is the law like if we if we accept the idea that the law is just what is written down on the documents then I would have to disagree because that's why we we make reference to the natural law as well. The natural law and the common good also set into our interpretation of the law, not purely just what the document says semantically, but also also how to interpret that document in light of that. That's it. That's that's what we discussed before you just uh, jumped in, John, where yeah. the, the law, and I mentioned how particularly the Mosaic law 
in that ancient Near Eastern period, it wasn't expected to be comprehensive, but to be a big list of case law from yeah. which someone can actually yeah. find yeah. the overall, the, the true spirit behind it. It's kind of like English English common law tradition is yeah. was, was kind of based on this principle too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and there's a, there's a really interesting, like, uh, like people, like, uh, and very common, like, I guess, atheistic or secular argument that, like, God is breathing down the Jews' necks that he's implementing nice. all these laws. Where it's like the, the Mosaic legal code is, like, <laughs> tiny compared to any any legal code that exists in the world that you yeah. have oh, yeah. on a normal basis yeah and yeah. And, and, and they ignore the vast now, majority of the i will hear no more of this hebrew nonsense <laughs> yeah. I wanted to. I wanted to add. We'll, we'll go to something Latin instead. I wanted to go to the, what is the role of? We shouldn't really call them lawyers as much as jurists. What's the yeah. purpose of a jurist? Well, from the Latin jurista, a jurista studies use. Use is the object of justice. So the point of being a jurist is to study the object of justice. And so as a result, the jurist not only has to study law considered as a list of promulgated laws by human authority, but with reference to the purpose of justice, because that's their ultimate goal. And so actually, they can't be morally neutral. Right? A jurist, by nature, has to make moral judgments in certain cases in order to apply the natural law to the study of law. Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's it. The, the Mosaic law, that's the beauty of the Mosaic law, the Torah from Genesis to Deuteronomy you get all those principles you need, even if they're separated into little specific case bits and junks and all that, you get all you need to be able to divine what is the common good, what's the point of the law, what's the natural law, all that jazz. Because the law itself, as as Moses says in his in his final speech, where he says to choose life, there's the two ways, there's the way of life and the way of death. You see all that there. You see all the the, the, the whole the whole telos of the law, the whole point of it why it's in place and thus being able to interpret it in other future cases, even those that are radically different from case laws within the Torah itself. It has, it provides its own interpretive lens. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Yes. Someone here was mentioning in the chat, my book piles. I just want to show from my thing. Like I have tons of books piled all over my desk everywhere. That's how I store books. (laughs) I have icons. Um, I have icons sitting on my desk, but before that, yeah. As you saw, my sister is here, and she actually has a question. So, uh... Uh, okay, so do you think that all temptation is sinful? No, mm, not necessarily. Uh, no. You, because what what temptation is, it would be an inclination uh, of the will. Well, actually, <laughs> it, you can consider temptation in two ways. One in in one way it would be an outside object in which uh, your will could tend towards. So um, that with with your faculties uh, tending towards that, that doesn't necessitate that your will is consenting towards uh, yeah. towards that object. So, like, let's say uh, I don't know you're you're uh, you're an alcoholic, and then alcohol comes in front of you, and then um, you you have this like interior feeling where like oh I want to drink. Like and but you resist that and you're like no 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 I don't want to that wouldn't be an yeah. example of of a sinful temptation but if your will inclines to that uh, sinful temptation like alcohol comes before and you're like oh yeah I want to drink like let's go like let's get let's get hammered yeah. tonight that would be an example of a sinful uh, yeah. temptation because your will is consenting unto that sin yeah if you actualize the temptation in a sense yeah. Well, well also but also, then also there is even an internal will where even if it's not 
actualize in like a physical act per se where it is sin. Yeah, like yeah. the classic example would be when Jesus says, if if you even just lust in your heart over a woman, you've committed yeah, adultery. Yeah. So the the act and so the act of adultery itself and the active desire of your will. So not merely being tested with seeing a very nice looking woman down the road and then having that feeling potentially passively existing in your head. That's not itself sin, but then you're actually entertaining of that thought of, oh man, look at this, look at this hottie. I want to, I want to have a one night stand with yeah. her. That is, that would be the the sin of temptation. Yeah, the actual acceptance, or uh, I suppose, uh, but, internalization of the temptation. But Father James, it, it concupiscence in the in, in the thirty nine articles. What, I was I was you, going you wanna, to you want to mention there. that. <laughs> So um, I, I think I'm going to uh, largely agree. I think what happens with this uh, discussion of uh, temptation is that we tend to not have a, a fully agreed upon um, idea of what we're talking about when we say that. So there's a range of temptation. The example I was going to give is uh, technically it is a temptation when I, let's say I am offered to, uh, I hate onions, all right? If I am presented with an opportunity to steal dozens of onions from the store <laughs> i'm offered that temptation all right yeah like the clerk is not looking and there they are those onions <laughs> i hate onions with a passion so i am off that temptation is given to me but i have not committed a sin because i have absolutely no desire whatsoever uh, uh for those onions now at the same time though suppose it is instead um I don't know, uh, a dozens of uh, like really nice steaks or something that I oh. have an opportunity to steal. You know, now at that point, it's uh, like, oh, uh, even if I have the slightest inclination towards it, that's when it becomes a sin. So we talk about how, for instance, Jesus Christ was tempted, yet he never had that inclination towards actually yep. succumbing to the sin. Yeah. Uh, so. That, that's where we would draw the line. Now, yeah. I think oftentimes the best of uh, Roman theology or the best of um, uh, other forms of theology, even within the East, I think we would agree with that. I think we just sort of disagree on how that terminology is fleshed out. Yeah, that's it. It's often a, it's often a technically not, uh, it's semantics slash lex, lexics or whatever the other thing is. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's often a game of, of just definitions of words we use, where, whereas the concept underlying it, we're actually in agreement on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that the consent of the will, I think, is a really clear line to draw. Did you make the decision to do this and even make the decision to put yourself in the situation where it ends up happening? Because then you consented it to it to some degree. Yeah. Like I, you, I think that if you oh, – sorry, real quick. I think if you consent to the consideration itself, that's yeah. enough. Yeah, I think yeah, so, yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah so that, any, any part of you, any element of you that ends up saying, maybe I could and should – in a sort of realistic, uh, I don't even want to say realistic, but in a sort of like hypothetical way. That's that's that why goes... you have to have the distinction between sensitive and then voluntaristic. Is sensitive yeah. has to do with your sensitive faculties or, or feelings, and then with the voluntaristic, that has to do with the choice of the will to assent to those feelings and to really assent to desire uh, the the object of temptation. No, yeah. I would say if you're experiencing the desire to. Um, I, I think that would go into it a bit. Yeah, I, I, yeah. this is actually this is so pertinent. This is actually a big part of my, for anyone who may or may not have seen my debate with Craig Trulia on um, what was the exact question on whether um, whether Mary's sinlessness is an apostolic doctrine. 
the uh, is that the one that I was constantly breaking out in? The one which made a representation of the Orthochog Church of the Apostolic Orthochog Church, yes. And a big area of discussion was the issue of the consent of the will. And I had I have a problem with that idea of the East, at least as was articulated to me by Craig and others, where the idea of sin it must be a consent of the will. And the way I the way I kind of got from it is that you must it's not enough to simply be how how to say have the desire in you but to actively consent and say yes i'm going to have this desire but i have a problem with that because i believe there is real sin where someone even if a desire comes to them involuntarily and they they didn't they didn't will to that per se but the desire yeah. does come to them and then they genuinely they genuinely entertain it that's technically not as articulated to me a, a consent of the will, but I believe scripture is clear that that is sin to act to entertain. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, I, I'd yeah. have to ask Trulia, like, does he consider uh, venial sorts of sins to be, uh, you know, out of the purview of Mary's sinlessness? Yeah, with, with Trulia, he would say yes, though, he, he, he would say yes to that. Um, but yeah. I, I, I think I, I tried to push him on this a bit about whether like a certain example whatever um like a well, perfect example i gave and I, might, I don't know if it was facetious or not i don't i think i asked him this i'm not sure if i did but i want either way i wanted to ask actually no i did ask him this if someone involuntarily just by mere impulse like a, like say a jeffrey Dahmer, for example by mere impulse like just murdered someone they didn't per se will it they didn't consent to the will per se in that literal sense but they still committed a murder of someone is that still a sin because so, it technically wasn't as i was hearing it from him a consent oops, of the will. accidentally <laughs> murdered that person yeah if you're talking with Tra craig truliga he's gonna truglia i don't know i can't pronounce his name right truly it's just true trulia or truglia okay i think it's meant to be trulia like a song, right, yeah, Craig Trulia. Um, in the pre-communion prayers, so before you go up to receive communion in the Byzantine rite, and I'm getting this from the Antiochian Archdiocese website to get the exact words. Wherefore I pray thee, um, have mercy upon me and forgive my transgressions, both voluntary and involuntary, of word yeah. and deed, of knowledge and of ignorance, and make me worthy to partake without condemnation of thine immaculate mysteries unto the remission of my sins and unto life everlasting. Amen. There you go. That becomes the problem I have with a lot of uh, de de uh, desires to sort of look at sin as something as a willful thing. Uh, yep. We have to understand mm -hmm. that original sin, uh, even the East shares our understanding of original sin largely. Yeah. Uh, they, they like to push away from that. Uh, but having you okay, read so, Ramonides? So we have to make a distinction between we have to make a distinction between guilt and then corruption, though. Yes, that's it. Because mm -hmm. an example, because original sin isn't an example of guilt. It's, it's an example of corruption. In the same way, these... Um, these concupiscence can be called sin and be said of the nature of sin, but it's of the nature of a corruption, not necessarily the nature of, of guilt, because guilt would require an act of the will. Well, yeah, you can talk about voluntary, like like the prayer that he just read said. You can talk about involuntary and voluntary. Yeah, uh, involuntary sin would just be and corruption. It, as, as long as we are understanding that we can still call involuntary sin, sin, yeah. Um, then I'm We're I'm good. fine. Like okay, the, I think the rest of it just sort of plays Brooklyn, out. Brooklyn, we have ways. Brooklyn, we have come to a consensus. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have a consensus if, of if, the fathers if, right here. <laughs> this is the council. The council of uh, empty after Bastia. dark. So so in the uh, so in an involuntary. So like let's say yeah. object of temptation comes up, you incline to it, but then you're like, no, 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 I'm not going to will it. 
that would be an example of corruption, but it wouldn't be an example of guilt. But if that object comes and you're like, oh yeah, I desire it. And it's temptation in that way, because also another thing we need to consider is that Jesus was tempted uh, and Jesus was also without sin, but we're, we're, we're a little bit after that. So, um, yeah. so yeah, there, there you go. Chris J. Chris J. says, "Whoops, there I went killing again." <laughs> uh, if I could talk uh, about the Jesus uh, uh, tempted without sin part, hey, can um, I, just I think. Oh, go another question. Yeah, yeah. I do not I permit a woman to speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But thank you for explaining that. But I actually have to go because Aiden keeps mentioning my name, and I swear I will wham this man if he stops me. <laughs> so, thank you for answering this question, everybody. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna leave now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was she wearing a Wu Tang nope. Clan T-shirt? <sighs> Finally, it's I, think, I have no idea. Now. Okay, uh, no woman. Um, I was gonna no say. Okay, I, I just wanted to say one thing. I'm just curious what you guys' takes on this is, just because I'm curious, like the distinction between this. So, uh, what would you say the, the the distinction between like the sin? So, let's say someone uh, wants to like put. Let's say someone knows they have a temptation or they have a, a an mm. impulsive, uh, you know emotion in some sense so let's say someone's an alcoholic as christian said right uh and we, we can all agree that alcoholism like it's impulsive like someone's not like voluntarily like oh yes i want to be an alcoholic right like that's not exactly the thought process that goes on there so i'm curious what, what would your guys's distinction what would your thoughts be on the distinction between a person who puts themselves in a situation in which they know they are uh they are um subjecting themselves to temptation so someone like say an alcoholic who goes to a bar right yeah. Um, versus someone, an alcoholic who actually drinks. Because we can agree that someone, like, for example, an alcoholic could go to the bar knowing that he could possibly be tempted, yet still resist that temptation. So I'm curious uh, what your thoughts on, on that status uh, of, of a sin is. Yeah, I think going to the bar is only venial. But if he knows he will drink and then he ends up drinking, that is mortal. Even if there was maybe some other mitigating circumstances at the time he chose to drink because yeah. he chose to do that. So I think committing a venial sin can set yourselves up yourself up for a mortal sin. Even if at that point, each sin on its own might only be venial. It seems to me that together in that sequence, it could be mortal, but I don't, I'm not know enough on, mor on uh, moral theology to know if I'm making a mistake here. So here's yeah, a question. Like I, have to, okay, oh, go ahead. I was just going to raise another situation. Um, this is actually one that was brought up by a, a traditionalist uh, SSPX aligned priest. Uh, he said that going to the beach would constitute a near occasion to sin, considering how women are typically dressed um, at the beach. And going when to a Walmart during the summer would be <laughs> <laughs> going to California, period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get out of california guys or florida or florida i suppose either one of those two yeah so we need the crusade against women is what i'm hearing yeah. <laughs> so let's just become saudi arabia now yeah no I'm no saudi arabia that. is awful dude saudi arabia mm. is, is really funny we can get let's to saudi let's arabia let's arabia christianity uh, I actually have to hop off this stream because I'm about uh, to enter a way cooler stream with Michael Lofton. So if people are bored of this stream and want to go to a better stream, hop on Raising in Theology. Boo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, before you head out, wait, before you head out though. Oh. Oh. Uh, uh, are you going to challenge him to a debate? And now. No, I went, oh, oh, wait, he's back. Uh, no. <laughs> he's just teasing you. <laughs> okay. Father James, what's your uh, question? 
I what was it? Oh, basically, I just wanted to, I, I just wanted to name drop our our, our, our uh, debate that I'm having with who is it? Who am I debating Molinism with? I forget. I don't know. Someone, someone who doesn't know anything Christian. about this. The other Paul. Me. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> as, as Christian Wagner, I am. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Well, well, yeah. Didn't we? Didn't we say we're gonna do both of us? Like we don't like, need. We don't need. I'll do both. Enough. I'll take both we, of you. Uh, yeah. Can we <laughs> have one of those? So, I'm gonna set up. I will. Thing I like will side with. I'm actually siding with Father James on this one. I think the Molinists are basically right. All right, so I, need to, I need to set up something Ooh. of like Mol Molinist priest destroys two um, <laughs> Boniesian heretics and just make that the thumbnail and then just have like Father James like destroying the two of them to make it fair because in the actual debate, Christian and the other Paul are probably going to win because there are two of them and they're pretty good debaters, <laughs> but I need to set up the thumbnail to balance it out. That's oh, Molinism's untenable position. I, I, I actually go back and forth on a lot of these issues. You, you so know what? I wanted you know to host the great, debate for you know my own a great Bonyesian, a great Bonyesian theologian. <laughs> Here we go. Wait a second, Christian. I need to show you a great Molinist theologian. Here, I'll pull him up in the images. Bellarmine. Literally, Satan. <laughs> All right, you pulled, you, before I could Google it, you got me. I was going to pull up a picture of Satan there. <laughs> yeah, the, the other uh, Paul. Uh, so Byzantine Scotus asked me like a few weeks ago to debate somebody else, but the other person wanted to just debate from the Bible. And I was like, I'm a Catholic. I don't know. I don't know. The Bible. Yeah. And, then, and then I was like, well, well James, you know, kind of wants to already do I, I it. Wanted to so up, I wasn't, maybe, I wasn't ignoring you. I promise. We the weren't other like, Paul, let's, get this, be, let's get in this chat without the other Paul and freaking get yeah, out. The other Paul, maybe you'd be interested in this from scripture. Cause I want, I think it'd be really interesting to have someone on the unconditional election side debate um cabane on romans 9 because i think he offers the best conditional election reading of romans 9 i've ever encountered and so i think it'd be really cool to have someone to go through that and debate that with them well that'd be interesting i just go to do a lot more reading i like to do it on my debates i want to make sure i'm pretty well okay and i haven't i don't even know if you'd agree to do the debate it's just something i think would be interesting but let's do a live response let's do a live response to michael lofton's stream with uh all right i'm not interested i'm not interested in that all right <laughs> right, right. Have to hop off i'll see you guys bye got to get in see you what's bye. the stream on what's the stream about uh Wait, what? Uh, no. cool. Young Earth creationism. I, awesome. oh, I, I actually really... Oh, man, I, I have to say... I have to really admire Gideon just for defending the Young Earth view. And on top of that, um, I saw the responses a lot of the Catholic answers people gave to him. Like, yeah, they were pretty much... No, uh, it was I'm, it was so frustrating just to read so them on Twitter. I just, I just laughed. Yeah. I realized that the second Gideon joined, other Paul was like, "Oh, Gideon, I need to talk about your view on young earth creationism." And we spent this entire one hour time, and no one asked him about. I know. I wanted to talk with Gideon <laughs> about particularly the responses of those Catholic answers uh, types, not yeah. to denigrate them or anything, but that that, that well, group generally speaking. I, I, like, oh, I can speak to that if you like. I wanted to discuss, maybe we can say. do that now if that's cool. Paul, I, uh, I, Paul, I, I, could, I could go talk about that if you like. Uh, just yeah. ask away. Yeah. Yes, one let's second. do that. I wanted to talk about that because I believe that for the Catholic Very quickly though, Jimmy, I'm sorry, Jimmy, really, I, very quickly, I have to get going soon. Uh, um, I saw that there was a question about Anglicanism though. Uh -oh. Were you saying so Anglicanism? It's yeah. It's basically saying uh, Anglicanism is uh, super cringe. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was asking. Anglicans allow for divorce? Question mark. 
Um, yes, we allow for divorce like every other tradition allows for divorce, even officially yes. and unofficially. Uh, the question is the remarriage part, I take it. Um, that's been a recent uh, thing that's happened. Uh, I would say it is actually a more faithful reading of uh, Matthew 19, that in certain cases, uh, it doesn't make sense to say that divorce is allowed, but remarriage is not. Uh, and I'm just giving like right off the top of my, my head kind of stuff here. Uh, because a separation would still be considered a divorce. Um, so like, like how, for, so for instance, how would you get someone who um, is uh, needing to separate uh, from uh, the, the, the person for a while that, you know, the, the spouse for a while because of, you know, arguments and, and all these yeah, other yeah. things um, that are, like, that has to be something that is distinct from are, a divorce. Are we talking about Matthew yeah. or are we talking about Paul? Yeah, it's it's the question of uh, uh, marriage, marriage versus oh, matrimony. Right. Uh, yeah, I would say in that specific case, he's referencing marriage under the Levit the Levitical law. And if you are to, and he doesn't narrowly say like adultery. It's more widespread as pornea or fornication. Yeah. And there are forms of pornea or fornication that deserve the death penalty that I think he's referring to. Adultery oh, is one of them, but so is bestiality, and so is so are forms I would of say bestiality is a form of. Uh, uh, adultery, I would say. No, um, beast, well, yeah, I mean, adultery yes. is very specifically for marriage, for like going, yeah, yeah. yeah involved. No, in no, I mean, oh, I see you say outside of the marriage covenant. Okay, I see. Yeah. What you're saying. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but my point being that there has to be that distinction between separation and divorce. Otherwise, what you have Jesus saying is that no separation is ever allowed. Period. Yeah. Well, um, actually, it would be allowed that, until the trial is over. You do no, no, have but, to separate from the person before, so the trial can be conducted. It could be adjudicated, and afterwards it would be discussed whether the uh, guilted party, whether the accused party is in fact guilty, at which point the death would be carried out. No, no, but my point is that, um, so are you saying that the proper punishment then should be death? Uh, in the context of the Old Covenant, yes. But we're talking about Jesus' sort of eternal declarations here. So his rules have mm -hmm. to sort of apply to everything, is my point. Um, not just a particular old covenant uh, understanding it has to apply to the new covenant now because right. he's talking about the, so, the new covenant and and it right. has to be an internal one if we're declaring it to be an internal one right. it can't be sort of and i'm not saying you're doing this necessarily but it mm, can't no. be sort of picky and choosy no like no it, no, it, I, I, I see what no i see what your point is so basically what you're saying is is jesus instituting marriage as a one-time declaration here or is he just speaking to a bunch of jews like in in and of their own marital laws I would probably say that uh, what's going on is he speak is the form is uh, the latter is going on, and he's saying this is what God intended. It was that one man, one woman. Moses only allowed you to marry at this point because of your hardness of hearts, and then he goes on to preach about uh, the ramifications of cheating within that context and what he's teaching Jews at the time. Afterwards, because the um, sacrament is instituted for the church, and it is how Christ specified which is once and for all in eternity. Uh, marriage in the context of the Old Covenant was not sacramental, and that's why divorce could be carried out in principle, whereas a sacramental marriage is not something that anyone has the power to dissolve. That's the difference. Yeah, I would I would disagree with that understanding in many ways because we're talking again about Jesus talking about something that was made as an institution from creation. So, Do you think... Um, if you, so if he's not abrogating it, then yeah, like I feel like it's it's sort of 
trying to have your cake and eat it too, where you're saying it's not abrogated at all because he's pointing to the uh, creation intention, but it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, actually this is this new thing that's established. I'm like, no, no, it's it's either an old thing that's that's being kept the same or it's not. Be right back. Right. So in ter- right. So I think he's giving the original intent of marriage at the beginning. I think Adam and Eve's marriage was sacramental. But afterwards, after that, you see polygamy going on. Um, it's actually referenced in like the fourth chapter of Genesis already. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. God, God is permitting it. He permits it in the context of the old covenant. And it goes on, including dissolubility. And then at the time when Jesus says at the beginning, this he's speaking specifically about the marriage that takes place between Adam and Eve. And then the church from that teaching institutes the sacrament of marriage. And it goes on to become indissoluble because it's something that God is binding together. That's yeah, the difference. I, I, would, I would say that marriage is still being bound by God in um, the Old Testament as well. Uh, oh, um, which, so oh, then well, my question real, real is quickly, how— real, real quickly, one mm-hmm. of my evidences for that is if you look at Jacob, Jacob is married to Leah, but mm-hmm. also he marries uh, Rachel afterwards. And so then the question there is— uh, and, and in fact, Scripture talks about mm-hmm. uh, 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 Rachel being the the wife of um, of uh, uh, of uh, Jacob, and we see yep. other examples of this as well, Bathsheba, etc. You know, um, we see the the legitimacy being considered for a wife, even though it would not seem to fit the modern Roman understanding of that. Yeah. So, and yeah, in the context of the law, I'm not saying that that isn't considered a marriage in some sense. It is obviously these are. Uh, marriages that are permitted and uh, and have to be honored in the context of the covenant. And that's basically an honor that comes with obligations to one another, but it doesn't provide any grace like you see in the uh, grace found in, in matrimony found in the new covenant. Uh, this is why, for example, if you look at uh, God's commandments to... Uh, here's one consideration. One of the things that God commands is actually that uh, Levites divorce their wives, their Gentile wives, that he just put them away and put away their children. Now, obviously, if this was a sacrament, yeah, sure, God can, sure, God can do that, but it's, is that really appropriate? Uh, whereas if it's a non, uh, you know, just uh, put away children, put away wives, but if it's something that uh, man does to himself, it's easy to see why you know, God can command it so flippantly. Like, it's not, it doesn't really come out across as a serious matter when you read the texts in uh, Nehemiah and, uh, yeah, in, in Nehemiah. Like, uh, like do you, do you see where I'm getting at with this one? Uh, sorry, I'd have to go over the chapter, but, uh, yeah, like, it doesn't seem as heavy, like divorce and polygamy and the putting away of multiple wives and, and, uh, and your children. It doesn't seem so heavy if we consider it a sacrament. Um, but if it's not considered a sacrament, we could see why uh, it could be put away. It's it's a contract. Contracts can be made and they can be dissolved. Um, I, I I would have to disagree on a few elements of that, but um, mm. I, I I do I don't want to keep going. No worries. <laughs> I do have to get going. Uh, I'll I, be I'll be nice and I'll give you the last word. I'm, I'm uh, no, nice. no. Just my point being that I don't see a um, I, I I would have to I don't see the new Testament redefining marriage, which I, you might not quite be arguing that, uh, but I don't see it redefining marriage in this understanding where um, uh, the, uh, there is this one marriage that happens uh, between man and wife. And 
anything outside of that marriage that happens, uh, even with, you know, divorce, even with sort of what we, what I would argue are legitimate grounds for divorce, say adultery or things like that, um, that therefore that, that because that one marriage happens, another marriage could not take place on that same level. Um, I, I, I don't see that within scripture. And I would say that there are patristic evidences that that's not the case either. Um, but yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I want to respond, but that's the last thing you said. You could go. I'm uh, I, all on my word. Debunk. I, I saw here comes nobody say something. Uh, Rowan Williams. Um, I, I, I love to hate him and love to hu- love him also. You hate uh, to love Archbishop him. Royal, uh, hate to love him, love to hate him, love to love him, love to hate to hate his, him. His book, all, all his, his book slash biography on Arius is really good and valuable. Yeah. I recommend he's it. A, he's, he's a wonderful scholar in many ways. Uh, I do find it funny that um, he's uh, uh, never mind. I won't say that out uh, publicly, but uh, <laughs> no, um, I have a lot of respect for him in many ways. He he's my favorite liberal archbishop of Canterbury. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, well, uh, he wrote uh, a very uh, he wrote a very important thing uh, when it came to like uh, my understanding of development of doctrine because he argues that. Uh, Origin didn't really understand the difference between hypostasis and essence, which is a very interesting concept of like the development of language over time and how that impacts theology. That's all. I, that's all I know about Robert Williams. Really, I, I can't say that much about him beyond that. I know he might be one of the few last male archbishops of Canterbury. <laughs> oh god! I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. Father James, I'm not. I'm not making. I'm not making fun of James. What, what, do you, what, do you mean, what do you mean? What do you mean, archbishops of Canterbury? I know a man named Leo the Thirteenth. <laughs> no, no, well, no. So first off, I think even Father James, you would agree with me that Canterbury has definitely lost its way, and it would not be surprising if that's how it turned out. Oh, totally. And I reject women's quote ordination. Um, yeah, so so cool. Check it's out my awesome. stream with Father James on my channel on that. It was a really good discussion. Me and Father James uh, also did one as well. That my my bishop when I was an Anglican um, got mad at me and uh, tried to get my yeah. priest to shut me up for if you. Want. <laughs> do you, wait, do you guys not know about that? Oh, wait, I, I do. Know. I, I, I do. I, I, I let you know about it. Oh, yeah. So there was um just brief uh uh apologia anglicana lore right here. I did a uh me and uh another Anglican guy online got into a bit of a squabble. He's New Zealander, by the way, the other Paul. Um, over whether uh woman's ordination was licit. You know, no, no, was valid. So whether women were valid priests, and obviously I took the negative, the correct view, and I Based. did a whole, I did like a whole hour long like scholastic disputation on it on my channel, and uh, I posted it, and then I accidentally, it, this actually was an accident. I don't think you even know this part about it, Father James. I accidentally put it in the uh, the ACNA official Facebook group rather than the ACNA unofficial <laughs> Facebook group. Uh... Accidentally or accidentally? Accidentally. So <laughs> you forgot to put your air quotes up for that. <laughs> um, my hands are down here, but I I put it in there, and then like the like the daughter of the uh, the Episcopal Bishop of Central of uh, Diocese of Central Florida, who's also a canon in the ACNA, started to get like re- yeah, she started to get super mad about it because obviously I, I just called her now. I called her orders like super invalid. Woman moment. And then yeah, basically definitely woman. Invalid. I know. And she and because technically <laughs> I'll call them since, super duper invalid. Technically <laughs> since, 
technically since she was like my boss because she was like in charge of like all like the the like catechism and youth ministry yeah. stuff pull up my screen she, she was like she was super mad and then my priest saw that she had like commented and then my priest and her started like going at it and it just caused like ma a massive like controversy within within you, my diocese you should have told her to calm down that she is overreacting <laughs> be like i, I should have told her like i'll give you i'll give you about three to five days and then uh, you'll be through this uh oh okay um, I, I really do have to get going but i have to say one more thing did anyone see dr jordan cooper's uh uh why i'm not anglican video i not didn't yet. i did not know uh, is it bad i mean i love him but it's basically why i'm not part of the acna that's his video like oh there's a lot I'm of like, okay i'm sorry there's 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 more to anglicanism than the acna and like i'm i'm myself i'm you know part of the acna through the rec but like yeah, it just, it was not the best video. And I wanted to, uh, I, I talked to a priest friend of mine and he goes, you need to make a video where you respond to it. And it's just a, a, you know, a less than one minute video where you do this, you go, this is why I'm not part of the AALC, which is his denomination. And then I just go on, I, I go on Google maps and look up, you know, like AALC church locator and say, you know, show how few churches there are of the AALC. And I say, I think God's kingdom is better than that, bigger than that. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! That is a burn. Oh my word! That's funny. Uh, but yeah, there's probably like five of them. Okay, we'll let we'll let you go. But thank right. you for thank you for coming on. Thanks, man. Bye. Oh yeah, can we can we get can we get to um? I wanted to raise up because I wanted to raise with Gideon. Couldn't um. But about oh my lunch is here, so it actually might not be a good time. I'll, I'll, I'll raise it now. With their debate, um, one second. Did you like um, mom their, bring you lunch or something? Yes, she did. She she just came home. Um, Based. and did she give um, you chicken nuggies? Uh, no, no chicken, proper chicken with with cider chips. Can't wait, yum. But wait, chips as in like potato chips or chips as in uh, fries. fries? Hot chips, hot chips, fries. Hot, hot. <laughs> chips that's what we call them hot chips so what are you eating mushy yank. peas with it mate in it eating some mushy peas too <laughs> mushy peas i'm not a freaking brit bong bro i actually have stable teeth so there's a difference but with that debate with the with the, with the debate between gideon and jimmy aiken what i found so astounding was how and i almost have to respect him for how blatantly jimmy was like no the consensus of the fathers here is just wrong like it's it, it but it doesn't matter because it's not about faith and morals tm um but i thought that was like from a catholic perspective a Oh, a really awful concession where he would say the consensus of the fathers on a matter of, because it wasn't just on young earth creationism and evolution. It was on a matter of interpretation of scripture. Issue, and, yet, and, and Jimmy and Jimmy and Jimmy said, it doesn't matter because it's not faith and morals, but yeah. as far as I'm aware, interpretation of scripture, even if it's not like yeah. strictly speaking about Christian was, life is a matter of that. So like, I thought he, he, he just made a, the like issue a is that one of, me thinks, one of my thinks that it's a matter of fact, which he's he's almost right. It would be a matter of but fact. It's, it's if, if, though, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It would be a matter of fact if Saint Basil, for example, just like said out of nowhere, "I believe the Earth is young," mm -hmm. but it's and all of the texts are not doing that. They're doing it exeget in an exegetical sense, which yes. makes it, in my opinion, a matter of faith. Okay, so here's um, here's from. Uh, just Man. before you guys respond, like just talk about yeah. yourself and two seconds. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I get where Jimmy is coming from. Like Jimmy would be right in a sense, 
like for example, if just say hypothetically, all of the church fathers had a consensus that uh, two plus two equaled five, like they'd be wrong. Like, like on a matter of fact, they'd be wrong. Cringe. And he's seeing in that sense. But the, the the fathers, in a sense, aren't speaking simply on a matter of fact because they're speaking exegetically. It's inherently also a matter of faith, and that's quite clear if you read yeah. uh, what what Saint Bonaventure says about scripture. Yeah. To be fair, to, to be fair to Jimmy Aquinas. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say to be fair to Jimmy, he he did state that it wasn't. Uh, he did state that the matter that he was considering wasn't just that, but also. Uh, what the Council of Trent said, and he said it was a matter of a disciplinary issue. I thought that at least that was a relevant point to bring up. Okay, so when it comes to, so this is from, remember, Manual of Catholic Apologetics by Koch. Uh, he has a section here, uh, Destroying the Protestants. Uh, so get that from Milton. Oh, yeah, Apologetics from the Koch brothers, very nice. Yes. So, <laughs> so uh, he, in his section on tradition, he looks at the channels of tradition because really the uh, oh am I highlighting everything? Oopsies, I mean to highlight everything. So when it comes to uh, what the tradition is, it's not that the the fathers are tradition, but the fathers um, they point towards what is the tradition. They're witnesses of tradition. Yeah. So the tradition has come down to us in various channels. And three, the writings of the fathers and of other ecclesiastical writers. And we go down here where he explains it. So, okay. So by the fathers of the church, we mean ecclesiastical writers who lived before the year 600 and enjoyed a particular reputation for learning and sanctity. They're regarded as witnesses to tradition and their writings contain the faith inherited from the apostles. Their testimony is the more important inasmuch as most of them did not merely commit to writing the doctrines of the church, but defended these doctrines against the attack of our enemies. Any doctrine regarding which the fathers agree unanimously upon must be regarded as the doctrine of the church. The earliest witnesses to tradition are the apostolic fathers, then blah, 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 blah. He goes over all, over all who they are. But notice, this isn't, this, this is a, a manual of apologetics, which is commonly used in seminaries. This isn't like some like dummy on the street just saying like, yeah. oh, consensus of the fathers. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> where it's unanimous, it, it it must be regarded as a doctrine of the church. Yeah. So again, it's on objects of faith and morals, as is uh -huh. confirmed in the tradition. You can see it in De Mundo by St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, the, the age of the earth and the age of creation against the Aristotelians is regarded as an object of faith. Because again, if you're, if you're not going to say that um, the earth is... <laughs> X number of years old as witnesses witnessed by the fathers, because that's not a matter of faith. And you can honestly agree with the Aristotelian view of the age of the earth. If you really want to do well, wait, no, but the Aristotelian age of the earth is that it's, it's never ending. It's without beginning or end. Yes. But uh, I think even today, like most Catholics who take the old age view or don't want to commit to that. They'll still say special. They'll still have to hold on to special creation and the beginning of the, of the earth. Yeah. But Aristotelians still agree with special creation. Oh, uh, oh! Are you speaking of uh, like one, uh, like uh, the Muslim philosophers, the one who says that God always creates, but the Earth is just one Ibn of Tamiya? the many special? Yeah, like that, like Ibn Taymiyyah. Yeah, yeah. That's basically basically what I'm saying is that as long as there's, there's still that special creation, but uh, again, th this but, is this isn't like mm -hmm. this isn't like crazy what what Gideon was saying. This is in manuals yeah. of apologetics and oh, theology. I, I definitely I agree. Where Jimmy is coming from. I get where Jimmy is coming from. I just think he doesn't understand that it's quite clearly more than a matter of fact or of or of mm -hmm. of um 
or of simple prudence. Like it's quite clearly, uh, like it, as, in an exegetical context, that must be understood as a, as a matter of faith. So yeah, in I, an exegetical I, context. Yeah, I mean, so I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, although I would probably point out that uh, one way you can go about this is to accommodate uh, what the fathers say and and still make the argument. So, for example, um, gap theory is a perspective mm -hmm. that I take. Like, I would have no argument with the lineage and humankind being created somewhere like 6,000 years ago. But what about before then? Like, uh, there has been um, there has been good argument that before, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then a gap period of some sort, followed by a recreation of the earth. Like, would that be permissible, considering it doesn't necessarily contradict what the church father says, but it adds on to something that um, they might not have uh, weighed in on. Oh, yeah, and quick note, I did put the the link to, to the book in that I'm that I'm sharing right now. I should probably stop sharing. I did put the link in the comments, so that's another way to help the channel out. But yeah, I think uh, I, I don't think it necessarily excludes. Yeah, because for example, I can hold to Augustine's view, and I do hold to Augustine's view. And then when you have Saint Thomas writing, Saint Thomas is actually uh, slightly developing on Augustine's view by putting it in the uh, the in a reasonable um, in a in an orderly fashion, kind of. Uh, where he's he's categorizing it and then taking um, taking stuff from other fathers in order to uh, in order to synthesize in, in a certain way with Thomas's doctrine of creation. Although Thomas doesn't agree that it was um, merely logical order, I, but um, he's he's taking the insights from Augustine in there. The only thing I would say in that regard is that I, I do think that gap theory is something you could theoretically hold to. Um, the only thing I have against it, really, to so to speak, is that you have people like uh, Saint Basil. Who are uh, who is quite clearly holds to a literal six day creation, which doesn't necessarily contradict with gap theory, but I think it makes gap theory harder to hold to when you when he says he holds to a literal six day with like as in like days as in like a way humans can understand them. Um, which, like I said, I don't think that is. Uh, uh, I think you can still hold a gap theory and say that Saint Basil's right. I just don't think that necessarily. Um, why are you pinging me? <laughs> <laughs> this goofball okay i don't think that um what's i gonna say i don't think that uh see now you confuse me now <laughs> i don't think i don't think that um i don't think that like i said i don't think saint basil's view is in is in direct contradiction with gap theory but i think it makes gap theory uh less likely now you can just say Saint Basil's wrong. Like I, I think that's also because he's the only person, as far as I know, that's as blatant as he is. But I'm just saying, like I think, I think definitely it's it's like an option of multiple correct options you could have. Hmm. So I think yeah. at least it does justice. It does. Because my pro, my problem is is um, you never get any of these like theistic evolutionist esque views that are doing justice to the text. You know, they they can't tell you like. If I ask you plainly, what is the literal sense of this text? Like, full stop. Give me the literal sense. They just, this, they, they can't. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, I would just say the literal sense of the text is a six-day creation of the earth. And by earth, I mean the land on which, um, the land on which uh, Eden is built with all its uh, plantation, animal life, water life, etc. Yeah. 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 Like I, I'm back, boys. We're back on camera. 
Okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna have Although, to go in like three minutes. So if we wrap it up. Oh, oh I do no. I I do want to get everyone's perspective on this one thing though. What do you think of Jimmy Aiken's point that if we're kind of inbound to the interpretation of the fathers, aren't we also bound to believe that the heavenly bodies go on like uh what is it? I thought, I thought that was a pretty stupid point. Uh, yeah, I don't, and I don't mean that. I don't mean that to be rude, and I think that's an absolute red herring, and it's it's purposefully deceptive because obviously what we're talking about is the fact that the creation of the earth is a matter of faith; it's a matter of scriptural interpretation. Therefore, mm-hmm. the fathers are the fathers are infallible in their consensus. And then he yeah. throws out, "Well, the heavenly spheres, uh, they agree on that. Therefore, you're wrong." Yeah. And it, it, that, like, imagine, imagine, okay, let's put it this way. Imagine if, if I said, he said like, okay, the, the fathers all agree and don't, don't, don't say anything to the other Paul, the fathers all agree with the Vatican one papacy. And then, and then a Protestant says, well, the fathers all believe in the crystal spheres, Jimmy. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be rude or anything, but I don't I don't think that yeah. was a well thought out uh, response. I don't think he felt that Gideon was going to go there, you know, yeah. so he was called a little bit off because he was expected he was expecting to just have like a nerd out about some like science stuff. But yeah. Gideon wasn't just going to give him that. And then Jimmy didn't even respond to a lot of Gideon's exegesis uh, questions for exegesis. And I would just love to see just a. Gideon versus Aiken just talking about um just talking about the ex Jesus. And maybe actually I will reach out to uh you know what? Maybe I'll reach out to Jimmy and ask to see if uh yeah. if we can make I that think, happen with Gideon just talking about the exegetical points that weren't yeah, reached. Because I think because I think the, the issue is that that with young earth creationism you can take two approaches, right? You can, and I talked to I talked to Gideon about this on our my first chill stream about his debate with Jimmy and I was asking him how his methodology would be. We're like, you can take a purely scientific approach and say, what are the scientific arguments for or against younger creationism? Or you can take the science or you can take a patristic approach. Uh, And to be fair to Jimmy, and I think Gideon also says multiple times to be completely fair to Jimmy, Jimmy is not dismissive of either. Like he's not saying young earth creationist scientists are stupid. And he's not saying people who believe in a patristophy are stupid. So I'll give him credit in that regard. He has a lot of respect for people who disagree with him, which is a hard thing to have in some and such a thing like this. Uh, but I do think it's it's more useful to limit it to say, okay, let's debate young creationism patristically, right? What are the patristics say on the topic? And presume that they have a level of authority. Because even if you say, okay, there's not a motive and not a tool, an organ of infallibility, which I agree with them on and in a, in a, to a degree with, uh, it's still an, a, a, an, or, an organ of authority, right? You know, for example, like I, I had this example uh, uh, the other day where, like, let's say you have, I don't know, let's say theoretically there were a hundred church fathers and 99 of them agreed on, on a topic and one of them disagreed. Technically, that wouldn't be a consensus in the most like harsh sense, it wouldn't be a consensus, but it would be an incredibly authoritative statement. Yeah, but uh, with that, that also misunderstands. And I think this uh, yeah. comment from here comes nobody. I mean, the fathers, all due respect to these builders of the faith, couldn't even agree on the age of Jesus died. Maybe the consensus concept is fishy. With the with the con- consensus, it's a more it's a moral consensus and not an absolute consensus. This mm-hmm. is a clear distinction made among um, authors such as Bellarmine and Suarez mm-hmm. that you'll see when they're defining tradition and when you get the traditional definitions of what it means for a consensus of the fathers. Obviously, there's disagreement. We're not yeah. we're not so naive, and I think I think some people some pop apologists actually are so naive to say this. 
but we aren't so naive to say that every single father agrees on on this issue. There's obvious yeah. dissenters. There's obvious people that uh, had made mistakes, but because of the principle of the Holy Spirit's preservation of the deposit of faith, then from that principle, we can at least say that there will be a moral consensus in that um, that we don't buy. Um, yeah, it's just this massive would... falling away out of the faith uh, th- that will yeah. happen. And I think that's much more palatable and uh, much more reasonable because when you get uh, when you get Protestants who do know the fathers, they're like, "Come on, guys!" Like, like for for example, uh, he's obviously referencing to Saint Irenaeus of Lyon in Against Heresies. Or, or you'll get to, um, let me think, uh, Augustine and his statements about um, uh, unbaptized infants or, or, or things like that. The tradition has rejected uh, a lot of these ideas. But um, even when people claim like, oh, all the fathers believed in it, uh, that should be glossed um, to be charitable as meaning a moral consensus, which is just like a general consensus. So yeah, 80, 90 percent, you know, like yeah, obviously and there's I don't some think, dissenters. And like I said, like even something out, like let's say, let's say so much, if 100 percent of the fathers agree on something, we can say it's basically infallible. Like it's practically like if all the fathers. Well, that would agree be on that would be an absolute consensus. But an yeah, ab- yeah, exactly. an absolute consensus and a moral consensus are infallible. exactly. But then, so, then you could, but then you could have something below that, like you said, a moral consensus, which is which I would call practically infallible. So it's not literally like it, like there's a chance theoretically they could be wrong, but it's so unbelievably unlikely that we take it on a pragmatic purpose that it is infallible. We treat it as it is, so if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and I think one, it still is. I think it still is literally infallible when when you're going with a moral consensus. I think that would be the position of the uh, canonists. So, you could, so I, a, I, I'm open to that position. Mm-hmm. You can totally present me the evidence from that position. But even then, I mm-hmm. even even if that's granted, I'd say mm-hmm. if you take that moral consensus is literally infallible, you could even say, okay, the level below moral consensus, which is I don't know, sixty percent of the fathers agree on something, right? So it's not a you know it's not as strong as the moral consensus. Even then, there's still authority in that sense, right? A lesser yeah. consensus is still authoritative, just not to the degree of complete consensus, which is what my point was. I, I think right? if you're going to yeah, I think if you're going to buck the fathers on something. Well, that's a bad idea. I think you have to yeah. treat what the fathers say at least infallible to some degree or sense. Like when the fathers say that uh, from from uh, now until uh, you know from their time till the past, the earth was uh, you know six thousand years or yeah or some young date. Then you have to say, okay, they believed in that to what extent? Like absolutely, or did they believe in it from the very creation of the earth? Uh, how was it? Mm-hmm. Like you have to, you have to say that they have to be at least invaluable to some regard, and you yeah. can't, uh, yeah, and you can't just throw that away. You have to and, incorporate. You can't just say they were just plainly in error. You have to and, incorporate that somehow into your yeah. exegetical work. And to to go into the uh, real fast to comments one one last time before we get this comment to uh, to go on like the last thing what he said about moral um, about uh, <laughs> about moral consensus. Where like I gave us an example to to Hassan in the in the Discord, where I I understand that Tertullian is not considered a church father, but I said like p- propose with a sense of he argument is. you'd cons- you'd consider Tertullian a church father in this context, right? He is not. He is. I'm just saying I'm saying for, for the sake of argument, propose that he would be right. Okay. He quite clearly Tertullian, in my opinion, does not hold a transubstantiation. He seems to disagree with transubstantiation 
Does that mean that there's not a consensus of the fathers in regarding the transubstantiation? Granting for argument he'd be considered one? Obviously no. Like so many, it's so attested to, I'd argue. Based. Uh, no offense to Get Paul. control, Paul. No, but <laughs> I, think it, I think it's... I unironically believe Tertullian is a symbolist debate. Unironically? Un I, I will debate you. I actually agree that he was a symbolist, but I'll say that that is good evidence against symbolism, especially yeah. considering he was a monist. He's Tertullian, dog. No, no, I think I think he was I think he was a symbolist, but I also think that symbolism in the fathers was transubstantiation. No, 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 no. no. When, I quid, baby. when I say symbolist, I mean me. I mean the mere sign version. I actually believe he was that. Yeah, well, yeah. What but a, I think what a, I think outside of the precipice. Of the yeah, course. well, you know what? I also think Christian, your mom. <laughs> I think you're you know, a schismatic. Who's it's outside. really I think awesome. I think your face is church. schismatic. It's really. I think awesome your mom's Paul schismatic. That uh, that Tertullian was just wrong. Your, Isn't your that nice? Little Augustine is schismatic. Okay, so Saint Calvin was a flat earther, and actually, I need to go. So, any last words, everybody? Um, let me think of something really funny to say. I can't think of anything funny to say. I don't know. Uh, um, don't ever unsubscribe from other Paul's channel. Uh, unsubscribe from his Patreon. Uh, dislike all of his videos. Bro, don't hey, Alex, I'm gonna find, I don't want to hey, bankrupt find all the man. I don't want to give me your address. <laughs> I don't want to bankrupt the man. I just want to beat him to a thousand. Yeesh. <laughs> Okay, so everybody, subscribe, 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 subscribe. We are waging jihad against the other Paul. We will get to a thousand subscribe first. If you want a good underdog story of beating the, the establishment, ladies and gentlemen, the other Paul. We need to we need to do like uh we need to do like some sort of like uh like penalty for the loser and some sort of uh, I agree, I agree. I'll be the winner. We're on a penalty right now before you go. Oh. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> um, Eat a chili live on camera. Uh, loser has to do an hour of loser has to do an hour an hour of cardio here. Oh, no, ew, cardio is cardio is homosexual. That's uh, why. Yes. That's so why. The, the loser. The okay. So if I win, then you have to read an hour of the documents of the Council of Trent. On on camera, and then if Council. if you win, I have to read. What should I read? No, no, no here. Council if, of Dwart. If if, if, if other Paul if other like Paul loses, Dwart. if other Paul loses, he has to do an audio book of the Catechism of the Council of Trent. If Christian loses, like Christian seventy five hours. <laughs> I just read an hour. Of <laughs> if Christian yeah, loses, okay, okay. Christian has to do read. an audio book of Institutes, Calvin's Institutes. That's no, like no, 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 no. forty hours. That's like no, 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 no. I have to. I'll read. I'll read like maybe. Okay, I'll read like live on my channel a selection of Trent or something like. No, no, that. the cre the the Credo of the Christian People. That's pretty short. That's probably like ten fifteen minutes from uh, Pope Pius the Sixth. Mm. After uh, I mean Pope, not Pope Pius the Sixth. Pope Paul the Sixth after the Second Vatican Council. The credo of the Christian people. No, 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 no. Thank no how Pope about Paul if either, if either Paul if whoever of us loses has to make a minimum 10-minute video slash stream arguing for why you should become the opposite tradition? Uh, I don't want to, like, blaspheme. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I'm still um, saying yeah, an hour of cardio. I still believe you guys yeah. can do that. Yeah, okay, so uh, reading the Believer Credo thing, whatever that is. Um, and you, 
Um, oh, frick. Oh, frick, what they could be. Read like a section of Calvin where he's like railing against the papists or something. <laughs> no, 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 read a, um, I want to, I want you to read some like, some like Christian critical theorist. Oh, <laughs> like one of the like one of the gender theorists too. Yeah, of, no, 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 like critical race theory and that one of those. Oh, uh, oh, like feminist feminist stuff. That's that's what I want to read. I, don't, like, I think feminist. we might have to figure this out like maybe sometime later because there's so okay. many options. Oh gosh, this is gonna hurt. Okay, <laughs> thank you everybody for being on. Uh, remember to subscribe. Absolutely nuke that subscribe button make sure you send my channel to your mom your girlfriend your uh, just kidding you guys are watching me you have no girlfriends your dog your uh your cat your neighbor your uh old school teacher make sure you go to the school computers at your school and and put all of them subscribe to me make sure you steal your mom's phone subscribe to me subscribe to me uh and create false gmail accounts and like, report we, we need the biggest wave do exactly the biggest wave of anti the other paul subscribing we have ever seen <laughs> so thank you all and, uh, if you believe in christian liberty you will unsubscribe from christian from militant thomas and you will join you will subscribe to the other paul alhamdulillah we will beat the establishment Nice. <laughs> we will beat the establishment boys and girls okay do penance for the kingdom of god is at hand repent that's a wrong translation Subscribe to the other poll.